Hello, and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series and HBO's Game of Thrones. Thanks, Ashea. <laughs> and welcome, everyone. Welcome to History of Westeros. You're welcome, Aziz. What are you guys doing in here? Oh, today's episode is what, all about Game of Thrones Season 7 <laughs> and Con of Thrones. You does someone us? own our show? We've been intruded upon. Today's live episode, we'll be discussing... How to steal a channel. <laughs> How to steal a channel. We'll be taking questions from y'all during today's episode as well. I have a question. Okay. How did you get here? What's going on? Where the hell is this in a shed? All right. I'm going to take off your clothes and you guys can... <laughs> in, in no particular order. In no particular order. <laughs> well, hello there. We're Game of Owns. <laughs> I'm the newest member. Okay, <laughs> laughing time is over. Now we talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, yes, we had to play a little joke on y'all. We couldn't resist. We've got the Game of Fo- Game of Thrones people in house here, and when you have another podcast that you guys are fans of in your own house, how can you not play around with that? So we had to do what we had to do, and here they are distracting us off camera. But that's all in good fun. Zach, put your pants back on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've got a lot of questions to take. We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. We've got a couple of new images to look at. Not necessarily new, but we're going to refer to them. And a lot of fun stuff to deal with. We're going to talk about Con of Thrones as well as Season 7 of Game of Thrones. We're going to let you guys decide how much we talk about either based on how many questions we get. So we're going to steer the ship, but you guys are going to provide the fuel, decide which direction we're going to go, and at what pace. So, let us uh, do a few announcements before we get started. One of the things we have uh, to talk about is the uh, Greek trailer. There's a trailer for Game of Thrones Season 7 that was released in Greece, and it's a little bit different than what we've seen here in the States and in most of Europe and most of the world. And so, we got a couple of a nugget or two out of that. We'll provide a link to that in the description of the video as well. And, of course, we've got a, uh, some new insights since the time we did our last live stream a while back. We've obviously had some time to think about things, and we've got a few new takes, some new predictions, some new insights. I've decided that I was wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We decided that, too. We just took us a while to convince Sean that he was hey. wrong about everything. <laughs> okay, so... You may have noticed a pattern here uh, that we have noticed as well, and that pattern is that a lot of the anticipation for this season is for the epic resolution of a lot of battles, or maybe some people are going to die, important characters, this and that. But really, the other major theme here that I think we're all keying in on a lot, maybe is, maybe not as much as um, we should have, is that there's so many reunions, characters that haven't seen each other for many, many seasons, like since season one or season two in a lot of cases. Episode one or episode two. Yeah, I mean, really far back. And so that's going to be a really wide range of possibilities. We're going to have sadness. We're going to have joy. We're going to have, hey, you're the one who did this to me long ago. We're going to have all sorts of resolutions like that. And it's really hard to predict because some of these things interact with each other. For example... At Winterfell, we might have Arya, Bran, John, Sandor, the Brotherhood Without Banners, mm-hmm. and all a lot of these characters, and Littlefinger, a lot of these characters have problems with each other, a lot of them have secrets to spill about each other, and so much of how it plays out is on, like, what order are they going to yeah, meet each other? Yeah. And that's obviously really huge. So, 
I imagine well, there'll be some moments like uh, some some just passing moments, like when Sandor and Arya showed up to to see Lysa Tolly and she had just died. Like just you know, there's gonna be someone who just left. Sandor just left. White when Brienne gets there or something. You know? Are we gonna laugh hysterically like Arya did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So, uh, Shay here is running the live stream. She's going to be participating as well, but she's also managing our production end of things, so she probably won't have as much to say, but we'll get her in there as much as possible. I am trying to keep up with the live chat. Yeah, lots to do always. There's a lot of uh, activity in the chat room, and we're, she's tr trying to manage spoilers as well. We're not going to drop any spoilers. We're not going to talk about the books at all either, so... Uh, just a heads up on that, if you have book-related questions, save those for when we have Radio Westeros back in the fold, which we'll be starting with that as soon as the season starts. And this and this live stream that we're doing on a Monday is going to be our pattern for all the season. Sean here will be with us every Monday, and this will be about what we do. It'll roughly be around 7. We will have Monday. images like we have in this episode, stills from the actual episode. We'll be able to do that. Yeah, so that's fun. We're upgrading our uh, production and hopefully that will pay off for you guys, and you'll appreciate that. So let's see here. We've got a comment from Jack Boo saying, Sean's beard looking dope. That's true. We agree. <laughs> we're working on, it's not settled yet, but we're trying to work on with Game of Owns a end-of-season event. It's looking like it might be in New York, so I don't, I don't have a whole lot of details yet, but New York fans of Game of Thrones or people in the area... Put that in your back pocket. Keep it in mind. We'll have some announcements coming up on that once we have it. I also want to thank Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow in Winterfell, and writer of Masla Cartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons, and Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, the first sword of History of Westeros. And thanks to all of our patrons for helping out the show. This time of year is always very busy for us, so we extra appreciate the support, but we appreciate it year-round because we're always doing book coverage when the show is not in. And this is a short TV season, but as usual, we're going to be jamming out the uh, content as much as we can. I'd also like to mention that we got into a new game called Quiplash oh, by yeah. Jackbox Games, where it's kind of like Cards Against Humanity or Apples to Apples, where you answer a funny answer. But you can create custom games for this, custom episodes. So we are, of course, making some Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones themed games. So if you play Quiplash and want to talk to us more about that, shoot us an email. Or if you have ideas for prompts, feel free to leave us a comment. And I'd love to hear them. And shout out to our friends over at uh, Because Geek and Smokescreen and... And uh, Trial by Trivia, Tarzan there, you guys uh, introduced us to the game, and we got to play it with him at Con of Thrones. Yeah, so, it was really fun. Yeah, it was a blast. We came back and just wanted to play it right away. We even played it through Skype. It's so much fun. It's got catchy music also. It does. That's true. <laughs> so, Shay has definitely been hard at work making some Game of Thrones questions for it, and that is going to be a lot of fun once it's ready. The regular version of the game is super fun, too. Highly recommended, really easy to play, and we'll be coming up with ways for you guys to play with us, because you can have a lot of members in the audience they can vote on which funny answer is the funniest, and that is a way for everybody how, to participate. How many people can you have in the audience? Like 12? Apparently 10,000 people impossible. could be in the audience voting on these, this question for this game. So that is We're definitely awesome. going to have some live streams with us. We're still working out how we're going to do it and who we're going to do it with, but it's coming. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so a couple other announcements. Um, we have more to say about some of those friends that we met, some of the other channels. We're going to be chatting with, uh, with them throughout the season, and we've got... Some collaborations planned, and the the most, the soonest one, rather, the most, the most soonest one, is coming up on Sunday, as in premiere day, and we'll be doing a, what's called the stream that was promised. 
and it's going to start with Because Val, and then it's going to come over to History of Westeros, and then it's going to move over to, I think it goes to Rawrist's channel next, and then it's going to go to Tony Teflon's channel, Smokescreen's channel, and Phil the Issues Guy. I may have had that order wrong. We'll have the schedule posted, as well as the teaser and a lot of fun stuff to go with that, just to kind of hype the event up. So that's going to be cool. Check that out on Sunday. We're going to be building up the hype as the premiere is getting close, kind of like we're doing now. But that'll be when we're really close, like a matter of hours away. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, let's see. I've got maybe one or two more announcements. We have we have episode titles for the first three, and we have a cat passing by here. That's uh, typical cat around crossing. these parts. The first one's called Dragonstone, and as we've seen a lot of trailer shots of Dragonstone, that's not really a surprise. Then we have Stormborn, which of course is Daenerys's kind of birth nickname because there was a storm going around Dragonstone while she was born. It was a really vicious storm. And the third episode is called The Queen's Justice. Now, of course, Stormborn sounds like it has to do with Daenerys. There could be more to it. There could be, you know, Euron calls himself the Storm. There's, there's some action going on there. And the Queen's Justice, of course, we've got a couple of queens now. So that doesn't have to just refer to Daenerys. It can also be involving Cersei. But that seems like uh, a lot of uh, very Danny-centric stuff. It could be involving Santa. <laughs> it absolutely yeah. could be involving Santa. I totally agree. And something I said last time that I want to reemphasize is that they're kind of holding the trailers. They kind of one of the things they can do is they can kind of trick us a little bit by not just I don't just mean by editing because of course that's the thing that any trailer can do, but I mean by focusing on certain things and not showing us other things, right? Like we have very little inkling of we got like a little just a snippet of Sam in the first trailer. We we don't have a lot of idea of what's going on with the Sand Snakes or say the Tyrells, Jorah, Jorah, not much there at all. But so the trailers really focus on the North and John and Daenerys, but the Daenerys stuff isn't super revealing, while the John stuff kind of is. So naturally, that's going to be where our focus is because that's where the meat of the topics are. But as I said, we will roll with the questions most of all. So let us start with that. Let us get to our first question. We'll go with uh, Alicia Benton. First question here, Alicia the Everlasting. We have how will Littlefinger drive a wedge between Sansa and John? Will he make things up to drive the wedge deeper? And do we think, given Sansa's lone wolf speech from the trailer, that it's an indication that Littlefinger's plans won't work? Well, that's a, lot, a couple of questions there. I, I'll start with the easy part there. I do think in, Littlefinger's plans won't work. I don't think he's going to somehow successfully drive a wedge between Sansa and John that will relate, that will cause them to go to war with each other. I think he may muddy the waters. Assuming that's his plan, I. It could I be think more it might it. right that he might not try to drive a wedge between them at all, or if he does, it might only be to the end that this is my thought. You know, I don't know how how realistic this is, but my thought is that he's trying to get John to go be king, so Sansa can be queen of the North, and I think that puts him in a better position if he tries to court Sansa, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how likely that is. I don't know how many people would be fans of that happening. But I could see that being Littlefinger's plan. Hmm. Whether or not that will work, I don't know. Whether or not that requires driving a wedge between them, I don't know. I could see also him trying to push for something that will get John killed. Like, get, like, hey, that dangerous mission that needs to be done. John, you should be leading that. You might be right, <laughs> but I don't think he needs to push for that. Yeah. You know, you know, John's just not. doing it anyway, right? It may not work. John already came back from the dead once. He's like, <laughs> oh, maybe I shouldn't try that because, uh, yeah. He's stronger each time. Yeah, he just doesn't seem to bother him. He just comes right back and... Now everyone thinks he's the chosen one. Then he charges into battle and arrows fly everywhere. None <laughs> of them even hit him. So, yeah, I guess uh, he's worried about that. Um, okay, so also we have... 
what kind of things. I do agree that Littlefinger is not unlikely to lie to make his point. I don't think he has to lie to drive a wedge between them, but I think he will because, you know, why not? That's you, just what he does. You made me think of something just now. I think if Littlefinger wanted John killed, he could have done it already in that battle. Like, remember how Cersei tried to have Tyrion killed in the heat of fog of battle? It's That's hard to true. know what's going on. Littlefinger easily could have had two archers, two snipers, or some guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just make sure that guy dies. Yeah. You know? It wouldn't and, work because John's immune to arrows. <laughs> but, you know, Littlefinger wouldn't have known that. But I feel like if Littlefinger wanted to have him killed, he could have done it, and he hasn't. That's that's my thought yeah. on that, sir. It's all the important characters that have to be immune to something. Danny's immune to fire. John's <laughs> immune to arrows. Uh, Tyrion is immune to wine. Uh, <laughs> And, yeah. So, let's move on. We have a question from Mark Bartow. The Littlefinger speech sounds a little haggard and out of breath, even kind of whispering some. Could it be his last words to Sansa as his execution is being carried out? I like that idea. I think we briefly touched on it last time. And I think that is a very fair possibility. And I do think that Sansa's lone wolf speech is an indication that she's on board with that. Even though she says a little... You know, she's not saying it with a lot of authority, but she says it. And... You know, I doubt she's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to repeat something from my childhood, you know. Uh, yeah, so I think that is kind of telling us something. But I just want to know who she's saying it to. There's so many gigs. <laughs> she could be talking to Bran. She really could be. Yeah. yeah, again, the order of characters showing up at Winterfell is really like Arya showing up, Bran showing up. What order? Yeah, like when? When is this all going to happen? I think it sounds a lot like something she would say to Arya personally. Yeah. Just based on Arya's plot line and the kind of things, the kind of arguments that she would want to be making to Arya to bring them together. That makes sense uh, as well because you might think that they've they've never gotten along great. Yeah. You know, and it might be like, hey, this is the time for us finally to work together. You know, we're the only ones left. And nothing like, you know, bonding over your dead family to, to you know, put things in perspective. There's a lot of pairings that I wanted to look at. Sansa and John is an important one. But a lot of what Sansa and John are dealing with is what other people are pushing them towards. They both have a lot they need to do. And it isn't clear... What either of them want to do, <laughs> right? John's just kind of pulled along by his duty, and Sansa's kind of pulled along by necessity, and she has her sense of duty as well, but it's an entirely different si- sense of duty. It's really hard to say what anyone wants to do. You know, like even yeah. I, when I think about what I want to do, I want to do a million different things, and you have to make these compromises between what you have time for, what you're in position for, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing I feel like John wants to do is be done with all this. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, he doesn't... He, he was he, happy you're dead. I think he wants peace, <laughs> and he's accepting, He but he also wants to live up to his responsibilities, you know, so he's torn. But I think if he didn't have these responsibilities, if there weren't White Walkers coming, I don't think he wants to be King of the North. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He didn't... He didn't... He, he, yeah, he's never been ambitious in that sense. He's always... Well, his ambition was to be a ranger. He wanted to yeah. be a fighter. He, he wants to, to be honorable. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe he wants fame, whether he even realizes it or not. That might be a thing that he is motivated by. But uh, but I don't think that he wants, I don't know to say this, to be uh, the responsibility of leadership. Does that yeah. make sense? Time and time again, he's tried to push it away, and it keeps getting put on him. Yeah, he in that, he's it's great that he's very much like Ned, even though he is almost certainly not Ned's... Spawn. He was Spawn. still raised by him. But he was raised by Ned, and that is the thing that matters most. Uh, you don't inherit the personality of your parents <laughs> you and I, direct, through genetics. You inherit that through being around them. And I think that you see that um, from, which, by the way, there, there might be arguments on either side sure, of that. Sure, yeah, for the but, most part, environment yeah. over. But I want to say nature, that. Uh, nurture over nature, yeah. Uh, 
oh yeah, John, especially having seen, like, he's been out in the world a little bit more. Like, you can imagine a character like Rob, maybe, at one point, did want to be king, did want to be this leader. All the kids that wanted something, they're too naive to realize what it meant to Sansa wanted to marry, wanted to be the princess and marry John. She just <laughs> says no, what she's getting into, you know. Yeah. But now they've lived a little life, and John is seen to be a leader. You have to do things you don't want to do. You have to mm -hmm. kill little kids. You have to, like, tell lies. And you have to compromise yourself and your morals and, and put your friends' lives in danger and so on and so on. And it's not something, understandably, uh, when I said earlier he doesn't want to accept the responsibility of leadership, I don't mean that to be totally negative. Because uh, a, a lot of times people who do want to accept responsibility of leadership are willing to do some dark things. They're not always they necessarily good people. They have goals in mind, like personal yeah. goals, selfish ends in mind. Yeah. And, and even if they're altruistic, in the end they still are going to have to make a decision to cut taxes for this group of people or wage war on this group of people or you know betray their friend, prioritize their responsibilities to their you know, whatever it is they're leading over their family or whatever it is. And I think it's fair, reasonable, good even for John or whoever to not want to have to do that, to want yeah. to stick with their family or stick with their morals rather than be a leader and sacrifice those things. Yeah, it's a good recurring theme. Uh, Daenerys and Stannis and John and a lot of these characters have all reacted. I don't know why I threw Stannis in there, but he's a good example of someone that, that kind of... Yeah, it's not like he made any sacrifices for the sake of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> but he was someone who, you know, whether you believe him or not, I tend to believe him, but he sort of saw being king as his duty, not his something he wanted. When John is in that sense kind of yeah. similar, uh, except that John is actually happening for John. <laughs> and think about, again, this is something that's it's hard to know, and probably there's more of it in the books, but how much did Robert really want to be king? Yeah. I, I don't think he did much to shed this responsibility away. You know, hey, you should be king. It's like, yeah, I'll be king. Yeah, let's he was see. You know, Remus of women and beer, you yeah. know. But he still wasn't really accepting the responsibility of leadership, you know. Yeah. Okay, we get, it looks like we're getting a lot of questions about Arya. That's cool. We certainly like to talk about Arya, and we're all very curious what she's going to do because in past seasons, I've said many times, like, Arya is the one who's kind of out on her own. We don't know how she's going to wrap back into the main plot. We don't know who she's going to, when she goes back to, to Westeros, who she's going to interact with, how she's going to fit back into everything. And now we're just flooded with options. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All these possibilities. I mean, it seems like she's probably going north and she's probably going to meet her family. So let's see here. We have a question from Carrie Nevis or Neves. Do you think Arya might take out Sansa if she tries to force Arya into a political marriage? Or will, or will Arya be too loyal to family? And a, a co-question from Allison Swan. Do you think we will get a full-on Stark reunion like Arya slash Jon or Jon slash Bran? Or will it all be left next season? If so, in what episode? Well, okay, let's start with the Stark reunion part. I think that's where it all kind of gets together. That's a tough question. Like I said before, we know that a lot of these characters are going to converge on Winterfell, but where? But at the same time, I don't know. Will Jon be north of the Wall when Arya arrives at Winterfell? Or will she arrive at Winterfell when maybe there's some evidence from the trailers that Jon is going to go south? And we don't know which order that's going to happen, whether he goes beyond the Wall before he goes south or after, and Arya could arrive at Winterfell while Jon's in the south, you know, like while he's going to Dragonstone or something like that. So... There's, if you just go through all the potential combinations or reunions that can happen or not, it's like 30 or something. It's like Arya could be there when Jon's left, but Bran shows up. Or Bran could get there before Arya does and Sansa's still there. You know, all the different combinations of never mind whether or not Bran is there or so on and so on with all these other characters. But to try to focus on Arya, what happens with her? Like one thing that might happen is all the things. Right? All the things. She might just do whatever. <laughs> she might go kill Cersei and go to the wall and so on and so on. 
I one specific question that was asked there is would uh, would Arya kill Sansa if she tried to set her up with some arranged marriage? I don't th- I, I, a I don't think so. Just in general, I think she'd kill Sansa, uh, especially not for that. Also, I don't think Sansa would do that. I can imagine Sansa trying to arrange a marriage for Arya, but I don't see her forcing Arya into it. She would either manipulate it, get Arya behind it, find someone Arya would like, tell her you don't really have to do anything, it's just on paper. She would find some way to have Arya buy in rather than try to force it on I her. kind of agree, because Sansa has been through an arranged marriage that went yeah. about as bad as possible. Yeah. Sansa might well, understand... Well, it didn't all the way happen, but... Yeah, Sansa <laughs> might understand the necessity, politically. She might understand the game, right? Yes. But she also understands that she can't make her sister do this, you know? Yes. But let's just say that she did. For some reason, she had to, Okay. Arya would just run away. <laughs> Arya's not just going to sit there and say, yes, ma'am. And I also don't think she's going to kill Sansa. She would just yeah. leave. I do think you know? it's an interesting concept, the idea of maybe Arya marrying somebody. Yeah. I kind of didn't, mm-hmm. I never really thought about her ever getting married, unless what she says to her father. She's like, nah, that's not me. That's Sansa. You wonder yeah. if, well, is it really going to be? But yeah, I agree that we have Big E in the chat room saying Arya will marry who and when she wants to. And I tend <laughs> to agree that, yeah, Arya is not going to be forced into anything. And any husband who tries to do anything mm-hmm. that she doesn't want is going to get the Walter Frey treatment or worse. So <laughs> good luck there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a full Stark reunion. I don't think they're. I don't think they're all going to be there at the same time. I, I think maybe some of them will, but there's like John, Sansa, Bran, and Arya at the very least, and that's. I kind of doubt they're all going to be there at the same time, but that would be something. Like, how would they shoot that scene? What kind of music would they pick to show all those Starks together again? It would be a tearjerker, I would think. Um, but it could lead to some some different kinds of tears, frustration or, or, or you know, anger over the fact that there may be some infighting. So we can just hope that doesn't happen. I think there'll be enough to be sad about in Season 7 without <laughs> Starks fighting each other. Now, one thing we missed... As a suggestion, a lot of you were quick to point it out, and thanks for that, guys. Y'all are always on top of things, which is who could break the news about what happened with Littlefinger in the South regarding Ned, and that's Sandor. He was in the throne room, and he wouldn't necessarily be in on the plan, but he could figure it out. See, remember what happened in that scene. Ned comes up like he's in charge. He's like, I got everybody behind me. I know what's what. And then all of a sudden, the City Watch turns on him. So some people know what happened, but the Kingsguard, meaning Sandor, which is what he was at the time, they wouldn't necessarily know what just happened. He'd be like, I wonder why Ned thought the, the City Watch was on his side. That certainly didn't go the way he thought. So he might noodle that out and be like, oh, Littlefinger, that makes sense. Littlefinger's the one who grabbed him right away and put a dagger to his neck. So that really makes sense. So the Hound is a very good possibility for spilling the beans there and setting off a chain, chain reaction that could result in Littlefinger being dead. I'm- I'm not sure about this, but I can imagine Littlefinger just fessing up, just offering it up, saying, hey, yeah, I, of course I betrayed him. I had this master plan. He was screwing things up. The real da-da. He could, like, say all the truthful things because it wasn't his plan to have Ned killed. That was like, crap. That wasn't, you know, he didn't expect it that. It probably was, but he didn't have to yeah. tell, talk about that part. For sure, for sure. He would definitely not claim that to be Yeah, part he wouldn't of, tell. It, say, he would blame yeah. Joffrey still. like, I didn't do yeah. that. There, there were many <laughs> people who maybe were behind the idea of Ned making this confession, like Varus was like encouraging him, you know. It, it occurs to me that Littlefinger maybe does want the more chaotic thing to happen. But it was definitely Joffrey's random whim to have Ned killed. It wasn't not anyone's plan. You yeah. know? It, I guess it's possible Littlefinger might have recognized the inevitability. Like eventually Ned's going to do something, Joffrey's going to kill him. You know, that it's possible Littlefinger yeah. had that as part of his master plan. But 
I think that he could explain what he was doing, how, when, why, give details up. That might be why John gets mad and slams yeah, him. Yeah, I don't think that would work. I think he might try that. But I don't think he would admit it just be, to get out in front of it. I think he would only, you know, he would explain it if it was brought up. But I don't yeah. think he's going to, like, worry about that. Because if that was going to happen, he would, it would already happen. It would have already happened by now. But I guess maybe seeing Sandor might change his mind. He's like, oh, that guy might know. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because there's this concept of... Dead men don't tell no tales. It's an old cliche. Maybe Littlefinger was resting on that. But this is Westeros, man. Dead men do tell tales. <laughs> <laughs> they come back when you thought they were dead. Or maybe they actually were dead and they still come back. I mean, Jon Snow, hello, you know, the mountain, etc. So let's move on. We've got some more northern stuff to talk about. The Brotherhood, of course, is the vehicle that Sandor is driving north. The Brotherhood van that is heading north and... They can corroborate something else that's interesting. Sandor, of course, can tell talk about Littlefinger, but he can also talk about Arya. If he gets there before Arya does, he's gonna be like, "Hey, yeah, Arya's alive. I saw her. I was the last. You know, he was the last person to see her in Westeros, other than the people she got on the ship with." And the Brotherhood knows Arya too. They had her for a while until Sandor kind of made off with her. <laughs> so they can corroborate all sorts of that. So if Arya isn't in the fold yet. When they get there, they can tell everyone that, hey, we know Arya's alive. She's out there. And what kind of an effect will that have? Maybe that in advance is in the little fingers like, oh, now i got to worry about her too. What does she know? Uh, so that I think is really quite interesting. And I don't know how it's going to go because, again, the order of effects is huge here and that matters a lot. Okay, so um, did you have any comments on that? That you have a cat now. <laughs> yeah, we have another. We have a cat. Return of the cat. This is uh, Casanova. We have who is walking on everyone's lap. Now, another thing that is related to all this that ties into all these characters is Brienne and Podrick. Well, mostly Brienne, but of course, wherever Brienne goes, Podrick seems to follow. We kind of hope that stays the same. Brienne, she had a couple of jobs, right? She had things that she took really seriously. The main one, kill Stannis, and the other one, save Arya and Sansa. Well, Sansa seems to be pretty safe, Stannis is quite dead, and Arya's still out there. So if she wants to go hunting Arya, well, maybe Arya just shows up one day. He's like, oh, well, there she is. And then, so what does Brienne do? What is Brienne's role if Arya is safe? It's one of the questions we got in the live chat from Rob Sweezel. I don't know how to say that, was what are Brienne and Sex God Pod going to do this season? <laughs> Rob, Rob is Rob Storm. We have two questions oh, from him two under two different names. Him. Yeah, so Rob's other question is, does Brienne go north with John, Or perhaps will she provide Oathkeeper to somebody, say Tormund? Uh, seems odd that the fact that one half of Ned's Valyrian steel being in Winterfell has not been addressed yet. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't even realize that it's ice. Yeah, I wonder if Brienne... Realizes it? I don't you know if she, she does. I don't if know she did, she would does. she tell? Would she go, hey, one is the part of your dad's sword right here. <laughs> she would try to I got it. this from Jamie Lannister. <laughs> I think she would try to return it to the Starks if she knew it was the Stark blade, so I don't think she would know. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, they would have yeah. to reforge it because it's got that lion hilt on it. They would yeah. definitely, they're definitely like, oh, get that off of there. So but, here's a question. Who, let me give you my thought process. One thing, one other thing, Brienne, uh, I don't know, had as part of her character, right? She wants revenge against it. She wants, she, she swore to Caitlyn to find the girls. But she also, part of the reason she wants revenge on Stannis is because he killed the king. Yeah. Renly was claiming to be the king, and yeah. she was on the king's guard. If any other, if the king dies, standard, the king dies, the king's guard, they just become the king's guard of the next King, right? That so, king's heir. But Renly didn't have an heir, is the problem. So so who does Brienne think is king right now? Ja Assume Jamie she... did tell her. Ja hmm? Jamie did tell her, Brienne. 
that she would be defending Ned Stark's daughter with Ned Stark's sword, by the way. Oh, she does know. Okay. Okay, great. I'm, I knew, we knew she knew in the books, but this is one of those things. Yeah, that where we're like, we don't want to. Don't know if we cross it. that stream there. So that's great. So she may, that's another thing that's got to, got to come up. She's going to, hey, this is Ned Stark's sword. That seems like that's got to come up. And if that's the case, pairing that together with the notion that Brienne maybe doesn't have anything to do now. Maybe she is one of Jon's companions that goes north. I don't have any, like, again, we, uh, we've avoided spoilers for season seven. So this is something that our, that definitely is going to happen. I'm not sneaking that in, like, pretending to not know. I don't know. And I, we have questions. <laughs> Shane knows. But we have, one of the questions we have from us, this is even from you guys, is to try to figure out, as best as we can, maybe not figure out, but, but suggest possibilities for who is going to be in John's group. We've got that apparently group of 12, maybe 13 people going north. And I want to try to take a stab at at least which of them we know for sure. Okay, John, Tormund, Sandor, Thoros, Beric. That's five. What about Dolorous Ed? There's some hint uh, that Gendry is in this group of all things, which I, I would say that's spoilery, but the reason we think it might be the case is because there's a hammer visible there. And we don't know a lot of dudes that wield hammers, so that, that could entirely be somebody other than Gendry. But there's some dude... Well, it could be a woman. Someone with a hammer in John's group. And so Gendry is like, well, who else has a hammer? Uh, Gendry? I don't know. So um, other possibilities, Dolorous Ed, but then Brienne and Podrick are a possibility. So I think that's... Even uh, with all those, it only gets to nine. So there, there's there got to be a couple red shirts. Probably a few other... Yeah, they may <laughs> all be red shirts except John. That's another possibility, that everyone dies in this mission except John, which would be horrifying, but entirely possible. And another question is, I guess Ghost is almost certainly not going to be part of any of this because of logistics. Ghost, they can't move the real wolf to this filming location, as far as I understand. That's how I understand the problem. So Ghost won't be going beyond the wall unless they do full CGI Ghost, which they've never done before. They always do partial CGI. So that would be, I don't, and, and there's no Ghost in those trailers. So a lot of that. We did hear, uh, I think it was the, the sound engineer and when, at the con did like an interview and she said that, uh, the budget has opened up. You know, the fandom has spoken, and HBO is you know willing to spend money they weren't willing to spend before. So, they maybe they will do a full CGI ghost. Who knows? Yeah, I it, think she was talking more specifically about the amount of dragons, the, the presence of dragons, dragons in there. But it could so be other bigger. things too. So. Yeah. <laughs> so if you guys have guesses, non-spoilery guesses, if you already know, don't tell us. But if you don't, if you just want, if you don't know already, send us your guesses on who you think might else might else be in that group with John. And let us know if you think Brienne will be part of that group. If you think Dollars Ed will be part of that group. Maybe John leaves Ed in maybe, charge. Maybe like Arya is part of that group. Ooh, Arya going north. That would be crazy. crazy they, could break, they could melt down uh, Oathkeeper into two needles. Yeah. <laughs> we have a question from Malesh Trevetti who's asking, when do we think John goes beyond the wall? And why? And why? The why is tricky. Very tricky. He's going to have a picnic. One... Cold picnic. One thing that... Kind of came to mind. Southerners is cold. <laughs> One thing that came to mind is the idea of proof, right? The, the idea that something that happened in the book really early on that I don't think is spoilery because it's such a minor thing is that when John went after Alistair Thorne in anger, right, and was set to, you know, he's like, you're going to hang for this snow. And then he kind of redeemed himself by saving the Lord Commander's life from whites. That's a good way to get a reprieve. In the book, Mormont, to prevent further friction between those two, sends Thorne to King's Landing on a mission, and he sends him with a white's hand. And he's like, hey, this'll prove, like, people aren't just going to believe our stories about white walkers and whites coming out like that. It doesn't work, though. But it doesn't work, right? Uh -huh. 
Alistair Thorne's plan does not work because Tyrion is like, well, how do I handle this? And he doesn't like Alistair Thorne. Tyrion doesn't, they didn't get along. So he kind of delays it. He's like, I'm going to just keep putting him off, putting him off. And during that time frame of putting him off, the hand kind of rots away. And it's just not, it doesn't prove anything anymore. So I wonder if, we know we have these meetings. Well, a meeting at least, probably more. We'll get into that later. The idea that John is probably not just going to Dragonstone, right? If, if you think that through, it's like, well, if he's going to go for allies, telling the world that, hey, the White Walker's coming, well, we all need to stop fighting. Well, it doesn't make sense that he would only go to Danny. He would probably go to Cersei also, and maybe other rulers. But yeah. So we'll talk about that later, though. But in the meantime, it certainly makes sense that if John goes to Danny and is like, hey, White Walkers, Danny's reasonable fairly reasonable she may you know have some problems with john because he's the son of ned stark and she's you know that's the guy who helped kill her father but setting all that aside she'd be like well all right i'm a reasonable person i'm just going to say you're lying prove it you know prove that this is happening and so maybe they're maybe gonna trying to get proof. white yeah you know, like, something like that yeah so or just maybe not capture a white but capture proof that something is happening. Maybe they just need to bring Bran down and be like, look at what Bran can do. Isn't this proof? I don't know. So there's a lot of possibilities there. And if that's what they're doing, if they're going north to get proof, while they're north, obviously things are going to go go bad. We know that from the trailers make that very clear. We don't know how bad, but clearly they're going to get into some conflicts. So we have a question here from Rubber Rabbit 2. Rubber with three Bs in, and mm -hmm. Rabbit with three Bs. Will Bran rescue John and company from the innumerable whites by the use of ravens? Okay. The trailer does seem to show ravens being used in some kind of battle. We don't know if this is related to this, this event. What's meaning this, this northern excursion, whether it's related to all the battle scenes we've seen. You know, some of them may be some other battle. Anything with the Night's King could be some other battle, but I think it's probably related to John. So if so, then it does seem like that the scene where Bran is taking over the ravens, it does seem like that's related. It also seems like he's disappointed. He puts his head down there and it's kind of like, ugh. And that could mean, yeah, <laughs> that could mean very bad things. It could mean that it doesn't work. We also have a shot of John, apparently John, riding away on a horse. And that's confusing unless you consider cold hands. Benjen, right? Benjen's out there somewhere in the north saying, I'll do what I can when I can. He might show up to help save them too, and that might be the horse John rides off on. Because what other horse is there? There's no other shot north where they have none of them are ever. There's a bunch of shots where this group is in the north, and none of them have any horses in any of them. How does he get to that in the first place? Like, did they just head out on foot in the first place, or do they at some point get separated from their horses? I think they would have to because they there's no fodder for horses up there. Like, you, you there's no food for their horses. They can't carry enough food for their horses. They kind of have to go by foot. Because there's no food. There's no grass yeah. for the horses to graze on. They can't just carry all that with them. They can't carry food for 13 horses, you know. <laughs> so I think uh, so it does kind of make sense that they're on foot. Um, the horses just wouldn't, wouldn't be able to handle it. They wouldn't, you know, they, they, the cold and everything. I'm trying to remember, know? didn't they have horses when they went that the skirmish up to Crash's Keep? They, they had did. horses then. They did. They, they took the whole night's watch then. They were dragging supplies. Yeah. Winter hadn't come. It wasn't nearly yeah. as nasty. I guess you could have two or three extra horses just to carry food for the rest of the horses. Like that. it's doable, yes. I guess, but... They, they, I don't know, maybe all the horses have just died at the wall anyway or something? I don't know. Let's see, we have uh, Jennifer Taylor. Question, I have a Season 7 question for your Q&A. Do you think we will expect to see Brienne north of the wall this season? We sort of answered that. She has the Valyrian steel sword, so it makes sense, some sense that Jon would want her to join them beyond the wall. Absolutely. But she doesn't appear to be there in the shot of Jon's ranging party. I tend to agree, but those characters are all very bundled up. It's the only one who kind of really makes himself known 
is <laughs> Barrack because of his sword that's on fire. That really can't be anyone else. Well, I guess someone could pick up Barrack's flaming sword and use it. I guess that's possible. Really doesn't seem likely, though. And here is the part of the question that I think we haven't answered yet, which is from Jennifer. Also, isn't there a Valyrian steel dagger hanging out somewhere in the north? Why, yes. Well, in the north, assuming that Littlefinger still has it, which it seems to be that he does. We don't know where else it would have wound up. So... Yeah, that if that dagger is up there, it'll be really interesting to see if someone recognizes it or someone says, hey, isn't that that same dagger? And that could play into the whole, you know, everyone meeting and greeting and spilling secrets at Winterfell. Who knows what, or again, the order of these things happen in is huge. For what it's worth, if I was out there, dibs on this sword, you can have the dagger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they just melt it down and make like a... Valyrian steel hairnet. Or Tie it to the end like of a, a stick and make a spear out like of it. It's like a Valyrian steel like cutting knife for <laughs> making food. <laughs> yeah, we, we decided that it, that if Arya ends up with it, or if anyone ends up with it, or Arya, Arya in particular ends up with it after going through other people, she'll have to give it the hot pie. Because that is... Uh, you always see these commercials where chefs are like, look at the cutting power. It cuts through this and that. Like, please. You haven't, you haven't seen Valyrian steel kitchenware. That is some serious cutting power. So we've talked about Brienne and Arya, we've talked about John and Sansa and Littlefinger, all these different combinations. So much of it is unpredictable. I think it's a, we're going to do another couple of questions related to the North, and then we'll move on because we've got a lot to cover. From Mackenzie Smith, do you think Arya will cross any more names off her list this season? If so, who? Well, her list has kind of fluctuated. In season five, it was eight names. In season six, it dropped all the way down to four. So maybe she re-adds some of those names back on, which would include Melisandre. That would be the, one of the key ones that was removed from the name from the list. It'll be really interesting if she interacts with Gendry again, for example, and can find out more about what happened there. It might change her mind or solidify her view on Melisandre. That's another reunion I haven't talked thought yeah. about at all. I mean, if if he go yeah, if Gen, if Gen, Gendry is the guy with the hammer in that scene in the North, then he's at Winterfell too. And yeah, then he gets to reunite with Arya, maybe, if she's there at Bounce the right time. Wow, wow. <laughs> I wonder what Gendry's thoughts on Melisandre are. I'm sure he's at least Probably suspicious, at a minimum he, suspicious of her. You also have Davos there. Yeah, I was going to say, but right, what, assume Melisandre gone was going to burn her alive. Yeah. And also assume that it was, you know, pure evil. Like, on some level, I don't know, I can just imagine a person being understanding. Does that make sense? Someone might understand. You're trying to save the world. You tried to kill me. It sucks for me, but I don't think you're evil. I can maybe see someone, I don't know if Gendry's that uh, forgiving or understanding, but but he didn't really know this. Davos believed this and, and said, just get the hell out of here, right? So uh, I wonder if Gendry sees Melisandre as instantly scared for his life or is suspicious of what Davos told him in the first place, mm. you know? Yeah, that's another interesting thing. There's a lot of people that are going to say things that are going to be hard to swallow. Like, I brought that up before with John and his mission to Danny, saying, hey, the White Walkers. Hey, I came back to life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're raising the dead. Like, like, they don't raise the dead. Like, Look, at I was I risen. walked through fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have dragons. How can raising the dead be so out of line? You know? like, so they'll all just be, they kind of bond over how crazy the world is. Their own world like, man, look at all this magical stuff around us. What is going on? Okay, another possibility. We brought up Brienne. And Brienne, you know, def defending Arya, right? <laughs> well, Arya, first of all, I, I br briefly touched on this. Arya doesn't need defending. <laughs> she clearly doesn't need defending. But part of that, that, that touches on another subject. She's gotten a lot darker, and she may be getting even darker because she's, you know, got revenge in mind. She's, it's been a long time since she, you know, experienced love or friendship. 
or any of these things, and it's going to be this maybe interactions with people that used to matter to her. We don't know how she's going to whether this will just she'll just slide back into this. She'll be like, oh, this is what feeling good is like. This is what it is to have friends again. Is she? I don't know if she can do that now. One thing in general about the show at this point, especially, is we're building up to a lot of these climactic clashes. There's more battles and action, and which is cool, and obviously people love that, and I like it too. But I also like these sort of character dramas. One thing I was really intrigued by early on is how Arya is on this sort of dark path of revenge, and it's kind of tragic for this young girl, even if she's, you know knows better than to want to be a princess, you know, but she still doesn't want to be a murderer. <laughs> it's not, or if she does, it's not, not. <laughs> it's not like good or normal for that to be a path of a young person, girl or boy. Right. Yeah. And, but that's her path and it's kind of sad or scary to watch this unfold. And so, you know, maybe she doesn't need Brienne to protect her and maybe she's going to kill someone on her list, but maybe all that's really dark and terrible and isn't what she should be doing at all. And would is anything going to break her from that? And would that be a rift between her and Sansa or John or other yeah. people just wondering what's happened to you, you know? And they then not understanding her, her not understanding them. And again, I don't think it means he's gonna she's going to kill them, but it might mean she abandons them. Screw you guys. Go fight your zombies. I'm going to kill Cersei, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, don't stop worrying about Cersei. The real threat's in the north. You guys don't understand. No, you don't understand. Because I'm she doesn't, have, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of warmth towards Sansa. She never did, but mm-hmm. she, but she does have warmth toward Bran, and she has a lot of warmth toward John. A yeah. lot of warmth toward John, and that might be something that kind of maybe brings her out of it a little bit. But if she doesn't, if it's you know, that'll be pretty tragic. If she yeah. even seeing John isn't enough to kind of. We have a question from Urias Tosh. This is actually from the last live stream we can get to. It's, it's more on point here today. How will the Starks react to new cold as ice Arya, and how will she re- she react to soft emotions again? And that's just kind of what we've been talking about already. I, I really wonder about that. If she's really like a dark kind of killer type figure, John is going to be like, yeah, well, he might also be like, well, yeah, that's the world is awful right now, and we're all turning dark. We all have to do these terrible things. We all have to set aside what we used to be and what we wanted because there's this common threat that is just so overwhelming. John's going to be like, you don't know what I've been through. I had to kill a little boy. And Ari's going to be like, uh-huh. Yeah. As, yeah. Oh, whoa, you killed a little boy, huh? That's the first person I yeah. ever killed was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> that little boy was trying to give me to Cersei, so yeah, he got what he deserved. But this is just a theme that's developing, like wrestling with new priorities. As the overshadowing all these reunions and the epic battles that we're clearly going to have are these new priorities. In other words, your duty to your fellow humans. Like, how are these characters going to deal with their own feelings of revenge and ambition when the world is ending, in a sense? <laughs> are they going to... Fr- and they don't even know it. A lot. First of all, they have to learn that this is happening. Yeah. And believe it and, and be convinced of it or see it firsthand. Second of all, what are they going to do about it? I think that's just an open question that we all have to ask ourselves about pretty much every character because so many perspectives are going to change. So many priorities are going to change. And how that mixes in with duty is really interesting. And it's a great theme, uh, both from a human perspective. Like, what would you do? What would you do if faced with these, like, really difficult choices? What would you do if someone told you these? Would you just believe them? What if someone told you that, that Canadians had all become the undead and they were all invading Minnesota? All sorry, sorry, Canadians. Yeah, Even all y'all. <laughs> I told you we'd all have to <laughs> prepare ourselves to be sad about some things this year. So apparently all of the Canadians are turning into White Walkers. So sorry, guys. There's still time to move. It's still a week away. <laughs> I mean, even someone like Stannis. Stannis is like the most like 
duty bound guy. Although Ned is pretty kind of pretty up there too, if you could, you know, in some ways. Ned chose his family over his honor in the end. Although barely, he had to be talked into. Barely, it by you're right. Yeah. You're right. And I don't even think he was necessarily choosing his honor or his family. He just wasn't considering it. Yeah, at first and he was like, when honor. he did, he did. But the fact that he wasn't considering it is still very telling. That right. And like Liana, let's consider Ned's promise to Liana. He didn't even tell Catelyn. Like, letter of the law. He didn't even, no matter what Littlefingers and Renly said to him, he's like, nope, Stannis is king. He did not bend on anything. And that was obviously a problem. I think people are going to have to bend. That's one of the lessons. Like, Stannis didn't bend. Ned didn't bend. Didn't work out for them. People are going to have to set aside some of their biggest problems or biggest issues in order to Mance work together. Didn't bend. <laughs> and that is going to involve that. And that's a good segue to our next little section here. We're going to talk about some of the other characters that have similar decisions and somehow some of these alliances are going to have problems. There's a lot of predicted alliances that are going to happen or apparently going to happen this season. And a lot of these alliances have things in their way. And I really wonder how these things are going to be handled. For example, we talked about some of the stuff in the North, like Brienne or Littlefinger and Sansa. Like, how's that going to work? Sandor and Arya, Sandor and Sansa, all these different things can work out. But those are all mostly interpersonal relationships. There's some exceptions there. We have this crazy situation with where this affects politics, like personal grudges affecting politics. So as we move on to Dragonstone, I want to touch on a lot of those relationships. First of all, before we get into the relationships, I want to point out something important it, graphically. Here, Ashea is going to put up on screen here this image of Dragonstone. We've got the Crown Lands and we've got King's Landing there. Look, what I want to draw your attention to is how close Dragonstone is to King's Landing. Remember, that's where Stannis launched his assault from as well. And so, with all these shots at Danny being at Dragonstone, there's almost no way that Cersei slash Euron slash whoever isn't going to be aware of them being there. Danny's not going to sneak her whole army up to Dragonstone and be like, ooh, we're now we're really close to King's Landing and no one even knows it yet. So that is going to be a big part of things. And that part isn't so difficult. Or at least in some senses it is. We talked about... Melisandre being problematic. If Davos and Jon show up and Melisandre is already there chilling with Danny, they're going to be like, this is a problem. She killed little children. But Tyrion, I really want to talk about Tyrion and the other potential alliances that are coming for Daenerys. Daenerys is probably teaming up with the Sand Snakes and maybe the Tyrells. So, so the problem is here, Tyrion with the Sand Snakes. Huge possible problem. They killed Marcella. That is not cool with him. Even Daenerys might have a problem with that because that's a killing a child. Second of all, Olena arranged the Purple Wedding, arranged to frame Tyrion. He's not going to be happy with that as well. I think the first is an example of something that might be a real problem for a political alliance. Like, Danny may have a real problem working with those people. The second, I think it's something Tyrion's probably just going to have to swallow. He's going to be like, well, that sucks. They tried to kill me, but this alliance really needs the Tyrells. We can't not have the Tyrells as an ally just because they tried to frame me. <laughs> and I, I think can also see Tyrion on many levels being okay with it because whatever it takes to get rid of Joffrey, he, you know, he might have been willing to sacrifice himself. And, like, you can imagine maybe if there had literally been some sort of violent moment where Joffrey was attacking Sansa, Tyrion would have stepped in front and taken an arrow. You know, I think he might... You see what I'm saying? Like, I can see ways that Tyrion could justify this in his mind. Maybe also he's... Just a new man anyway. He After he killed his own dad, he's given up on life. He was drinking himself to death. 
I could see how maybe everything's just water under the bridge. Mm. And I, I could see him moving past that for yeah. a, a, a whole bunch of reasons. But here's the thing. Even if this is a, maybe a little bit of a tangent because I want to continue with this idea of problems with the alliances yeah. of who's coming together. But also consider, I was thinking this earlier in the North. Even if everyone does come together and with whatever problems they have in their past or revelations or secrets told or whatever else, they get past it all, join forces, recognize the top priorities, zombies in the North, whatever it is. Even then, they're not necessarily agree on how to move forward. We should attack from the left. No, we should attack from the north. We should conserve energy. Where are the archers at? There still might be differences in how to manage the battle itself. So That's true. Very good point. Um, okay, so let's move on. You know, actually, one last thing. Yeah, you might, well, you might you, responding to what you said there. Maybe Tyrion is like, all right, I'll swallow this. We'll work with them. But I'll have my reckoning when there's peace. I'll get them later. Like, maybe yeah. he's like, all right, I can put this off. Yeah, but. you can't imagine he isn't upset about them killing his defenseless little niece. That's yeah. the one he won't let go. Right. Like, he I might, just don't think right, he, he might himself be okay with the attempt on his life, especially yes. since it turned out okay. But he won't be okay with the attempt on an innocent, you know, it's a successful setup. attempt. Yeah, yeah, a successful <laughs> attempt on a, not just a young girl, but a, an actual family. Well, family? Yeah. I had to think yeah. a second. Who's the real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, still a nephew. Just <laughs> more of his enemies. Yeah. <laughs> from both sides. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so we have a question from Rabea, Lady of Waves, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. Tyrion will likewise have problems with Olena if he learns that she tried to frame him for murdering Joffrey. As I said, that's a good, a very uh, good catch there. And Rabea predicts the Tyrells are too important to break off, but the Sand Snakes. That's this is very much echoes my thoughts. And it's as I said, the the severity of the crime I think plays into this too. Not only are the Tyrells probably a more valuable alliance than Dorne, but Olena's crime was not as grave as. As uh, the Sand Snakes was. And not as personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do kind of see it going that way, but we'll see. Some people think maybe this will be just an easy way to kind of shove the Sand Snakes off to the side again. Because, like, ah, they never have cared much about Dorne. They just want to get it over with. <sighs> I don't think it'll be that easy. I think the Sand I mean, the Sand Snakes, we don't see them much in the trailers or hardly at all or at all. But, well, we see Ilaria making doomed. out with, with Yara. Yeah, but, we yeah. don't see that. Imagine, though, that uh, this comes to light. You know, exactly the order of things, I don't know. But it, Tyrion having this conflict with who he's allying himself with. Yeah. Also, who he's allying himself against. Imagine he's teaming up with the Sand Snakes against his brother. I can see at some point him being done with it. You know, yes. I don't know if that's likely or when that point will come. Or if his the potential of him being done with it might cause other people to decide. We'd rather have Tyrion as an ally than have the Sand Snakes as an ally. But what's, what's Tyrion bringing with him? Not that Tyrion himself isn't great. I mean, he drinks and he knows things. But there's a lot of <laughs> other people who know things. He doesn't have the army or navy that the Martells have, right? So yeah. He knows how to get into Casterly Rock. Woo-hoo. And he knows things about dragons. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's, he, his so advice is He definitely is super has valuable. some unique knowledge, I'd say, mm-hmm. and skill set. He's been the hand of the king. There's certain yeah. things that he does bring to the yeah. table. It's for sure, I didn't mean to downplay no, his value, no. but how do you balance how much value can one person have versus an army and a fleet? You know. Now, you, man, you brought up Littlefinger maybe talking his way out of some of the things that will come up to him, which, of course, is something he's very good at. The other guy, besides Tyrion, who is amazing at talking his way in and out of things, is Varys. Varys is, of course, solely, uh, clearly on Team Daenerys. And I guess this is probably just not going to happen. But what if Danny finds out that Varys is the one that sent the message to Jorah about the wine cellar and killing her? And so Varys had a hand in trying to kill her baby. 
Mm-hmm. You know, even the virus can say, hey, we knew that was going to happen. We knew that it wasn't going to happen all the way. You know, we knew Jar was going to save you. We knew this and that. We knew that. I, but if it that, like that doesn't work, would have happened already if it was going. To I kind of right? agree. So, like that seems like it could have already happened. And Varus has proved himself so so valuable in so many ways that I don't know that it might be one of those things where Generis is just like, I just got to accept this, you know, or at least use him until I don't need him anymore. Or what she's done in the past, banish him. I'm yeah. not going to chop your head off, but you have to get the hell out of Dodge. You really wonder what Varus's long term result will be what's going to happen with him he seems to have less to do this year than yeah. usual but he I does fear have some... we're close to done with Varus. he's such yeah. an intriguing character but a lot of his character is manipulating things behind the scenes and i feel like that behind the scenes manipulation has happened and now we have the things the in front books, of the Sean. scenes <laughs> oh, yeah. the books. there's more Varus for you don't worry but that is a good point because we made that same argument about littlefinger like well what does littlefinger have to do when the white walkers are just overwhelming everything there's no backstab politicking just takes the back seat everyone's got to you know, and 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 Varus kind of fits in that same mold, sort of, of the consummate power player that has no value, like in a fight. <laughs> Littlefinger is obviously a shady character at best, and and somewhat unpopular. Yes, but I still want to see the silver lining in him. I, I always feel like all the characters are have other sides to them. You know, yeah. but partly because before I even started watching the show, I had friends like you guys who had read the books and loved them and would talk about them. And like going into the episode one, I had friends that were like good, intelligent people who thought Jamie was great. Jamie's in, so mm-hmm. I knew there had to be more. He couldn't just like, be this chauvinistic. Right. So I knew there had to be more to it. And so I almost every character, however good or bad they seem to be presented, I feel like there's another side to their coin. I mean, even with and, characters like that, like with Littlefinger, you see his backstory and you see why he is how he is, why he has these compensation issues and trying to make himself seem better than he is and have a position of power because he was so powerless throughout his life. Not just that, but a willingness to, I don't know how to say this, but put his money where his mouth is. He joined the tournament. Mm. I can see Littlefinger charging into battle. I can see him on a horse with a sword. He and was willing to fight him. Brandon, yeah. I mean, exactly. that may have been yeah. the you know youthful naivete, but yeah, he, he doesn't lack bravery. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think not only is he brave, but I think he recognized the value of demonstrating the bravery. Like, he, he, he's got to play yeah. this role as a lord now, and he, I think, is willing to charge into battle if he has to. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee. Someone asked what I was drinking. What is Sean drinking? Sean, you always have an interesting beverage. This is just Atlanta's classic Coca-Cola. That's just Coke. Yeah. Sean is just drinking Coke. Yeah. <laughs> really important discussion here on our drinks. Everybody wants to know what we're drinking. Okay, so... No one wants to know what I'm drinking. <laughs> you're clearly well, you're drinking, drinking boring uh, old pure... water. Pure vodka. <laughs> through a straw. Yeah, through a straw. That's how I love Laced it. Laced with LSD. It's just yeah, vodka and LSD. She just gulps yeah. that stuff by the... Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have any effect on her at all. She used to gulp, but now she uses the straw. Well, Shay has a very developed habit of imbibing large amounts of shade in the evening, so this is nothing. Like, yeah. this, is just, this is just like the mountain having... <laughs> having uh, milk of the poppy, and it doesn't even bother him. Okay, so more questions. We have a lot of people that want us to talk about Euron in ways that kind of border on book-to-show crossover, so we'll save that until for our first episode with Radio Westeros. We'll have a lot to say on Euron, book Euron. That's going to be one of the main features of our book-to-show episodes with Radio Westeros this year, is talking about characters like Euron, who we know seem to have a large role to come still in the books. So that we'll save for there, so uh, we'll hold off on that for now. 
uh, on topic for season seven, the ship to ship battle that we've seen a lot of shots of. It looks like, you know, we got people, we got fire, we got boarding parties, we got Euron with a giant axe, we got Theon and Yara looking intimidated and kind of scared. One idea here is that because of the proximity to Dragonstone, that we're seeing an attempted invasion that Euron stops, that Euron prevents from happening. He breaks the, you know, he defends King's Landing successfully from this attack of Daenerys and her allies. And that might be what we were seeing. We saw that, we, we analyzed that trailer shot last time, where someone who appears to be Theon kind of collapses on the shore, like, ugh, like something horrible happened, and he's, like, glad to be done with it, some sort of ordeal. Well, I we could be seeing the aftermath of that battle. Theon barely escapes with his life. Sadly, Yara's nowhere to be seen there, though. It uh, Kind of ominous for her. A thought that I did have... You know, last season, progressing forward, think about where it was going. I I didn't see how it was going to be interesting when Danny shows up with an army, a navy, and dragons, and Cersei's surrounded by enemies. Like, what's the challenge here? You know, how is she going to... Where's going to be the drama? And now I can see how it might be there if Euron... Even if he loses his fleet, he doesn't actually have to win the battle. He just has to stop Danny's army from landing. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So that is a thing that could have. The dragons could destroy his fleet, but not before he destroys their fleet. Right. And so I, I wonder if that might be the dilemma Danny is now faced with, especially if it means, like, army is drowned or a large portion of it, or even if they're not drowned, but they're stranded on Dragonstone and they don't have enough supplies to feed everyone. I think they're good. And so, she, again, she's in this role of, like, a leader that's trapped or whatever. So... I am excited now that I can see all these potential challenges and dramas for Danny, rather than it seeming like she's just going to be a hot knife through butter. I think what we might be seeing, and this this also relates to, um, this is not just from the trailers, but from the historical Field of Fire, which we talked about in the last episode. The Field of Fire was when Aegon the Conqueror is the only time he deployed all his dragons at once. But more importantly, his strategy for conquering Westeros was to not just grab one thing at a time. He went for Harrenhal, while... Visenya went north to the Vale, and Rhaenys and Oris Baratheon went south to deal with Storm's End. So the key there is that she divided her forces. That might be what we're seeing here. Maybe while she's, all these scenes where she's fighting Jaime, or maybe whatever's happening in that field of fire might be happening sort of parallel to whatever's happening in King's Landing. So they may try to, like, use their diverse armies to strike at multiple places at once. Which would mean that maybe that she can't use her dragon in the naval battle because it's already, Drogon's already de deployed to this other location. And we still have no indication through trailers or otherwise that any of the, either of the other dragons have been ridden yet. I kind of see that coming. I think we all do. Like, bound to happen. But the trailers aren't spoiling that yet. So, whether any other dragons are part of these battles, I mean, you kind of think they will be eventually, but this early? I don't know about that. I really don't. I kind of think that's coming rather than something that's going to happen soon. You could see maybe Danny having a multi-pronged attack too if she has maybe some small commando force is sent to Casterly Rock while she tries to make an assault on King's Landing with the Navy, you know, and maybe they're... Maybe part of that is Tyrion taking one of the dragons. Yeah. With a showdown absolutely. with Jamie and... Et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things we learned from the new trailer is the uh, we got a new shot. It's not really something we learned. It's just a cool new shot, and I want to put it up here. Thanks to Ashea for putting this up. This is from the Greek trailer that we mentioned earlier. This is a really cool shot of Cersei. Now, 
And that's the mountain with her. That's his new armor. They both have a new look. Cersei's still in black, which is appropriate. And it makes me wonder, at the end of season six, she's seen seizing power. And everyone's like, yay, Cersei's queen. And she's got her, like, authority there with her powerful, power, you know, her her power garb there, whatever you're going to call it. She looks really in charge. And she's got her king's guard with her. And Jamie's like, oh, what did you do? <laughs> that's the thing, though. What does everybody else think she did? They kind of would guess, uh, did she do that? Did she blow everybody else up? But she's wearing mourning. That's the thing about being in yeah, black. Yeah, she's in mourning. So yeah. she's like, maybe trying to play it off as, I didn't do that. Like, who can yeah. spill the beans? Who is still alive that can tell anyone who mattered? And even that, even if there was someone out there who knew, who could they tell that yeah. even mattered? So There are some people who might have survived that figured it out. Who would be on her side? Yeah, screw the Tyrells anyway. Or you know, we we support the Lannisters and ones that were on the other side of it. Like, I you shouldn't have done this. Have him killed. You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah. There's a, is a, a widely uh, made prediction is that she's devolving into a Mad Queen, a new Mad Queen, sort of like how Ares was the Mad King. And that's kind of funny because Daenerys is the daughter of, and she'll be perceived as the Mad Queen by some people, maybe from yeah. a distance. She's got dragons. She's got all these foreigners. You know, that's gonna rub some people the wrong way the wrong religion and the people will certainly be propaganda like Daenerys is this evil like Cersei will certainly be like telling people hey everyone this is the evil you know they'll try to spoil uh, her image before she can write that ship herself so yeah <laughs> I see Eliana Reyes thanks for the comment she says maybe she tries to pin it on Tyrion <laughs> he used it in the Blackwater the imp is still in King's Landing blowing up our sept you know that's not a bad thought blaming things on Tyrion tends to work <laughs> and he did use wildfire that is a great idea I had not thought of that so uh, let me give a shout out to the Maester Monthly podcast that Eliana is on it's a group of people mostly formed from Reddit and they uh, they're of course the, the Reddit community is very knowledgeable on A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones in general so you all know that they know what they're talking about. So check them out. That's a new podcast. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. So what else do we have here? Now, here's another shot. This is actually from the first trailer. And uh, Shay is pulling this up here. What is? I was wondering what was going on here in this shot. And I know some of y'all probably had an idea. But in full motion, what's happening is it looks like a fireball, like a gout of flame that looks like it's shot out like a dragon. It really looks like dragon flame coming above someone and just as they're falling into the water, as in they jump in the water to avoid being flamed. So the, the popular first take on that was that it had something to do with the scenes with Arya and, not Arya rather, but uh, Yara and Theon and some of that ship-to-ship -ship stuff. Didn't work for them changing that name. <laughs> Arya, Yara, Arya, uh, Asha, yeah, they're also similar. But now I'm going to give a shout out to Tony Teflon. I think Tony Teflon gave me this idea apologize if someone else gave it to me. This was at Con of Thrones. I brought it. We, we were talking about the fact that it kind of looks like Jamie's got his sort of suicidal charge thing going on. Tony pointed out to me that, hey, Bronn was in some of those trailer shots, but he's not in the later ones. And maybe, maybe just what we're seeing here is Bronn stopping Jamie's suicidal charge, tackling him just as the flame is going to hit him. Some sort of a lake or a river or something. Yeah, because Jamie does ride by a small pool of water. It looks just like a puddle, but it could be bigger than it looks. So there is water there. So that does fit. So that would be great because it means both Jamie and Bronn aren't dead. At least yeah. yet. <laughs> so, because we we're all feeling kind of like, doesn't look like there's a lot of hope for Jamie. But maybe this is a bit of a, a bit of hope to cling to. So thanks to Teflon for that theory. I like it. 
Tony's good with the theories, and that is uh, good evidence of it right here. Okay, uh, hey, let's move on to some questions. we got some more Cersei and Jamie questions here from Lord C Commander Daenerys Flint. That's Christy House. Thanks, Christy, for the question. Is there no rift between Jamie and Cersei after the end of last season? The trailer makes it seem like they're on good terms. So what? how is their fake going to be? A lot of people predicted that because of this whole Mad Queen idea, and Jamie's the one who had to kill the Mad King, maybe Jamie has to kill the Mad Queen, which would be just perfect tragedy in a lot of ways from a high level. It's like, oh man, this guy goes through this whole arc and he has to kill his own sister, the one he loves, as a matter of duty, you know? Because of, and just kind of sully, to sully his name, even though everybody will think, well, he did the right thing. But he killed his own sister. It's kind of the same thing. He killed Ares. And everybody's yeah. like, yeah, that was a great thing to do. Killed Ares. Except nobody treats him that way. Everybody's like, you broke your oath. That's the thing that everybody remembers. And he's going to be a kinslayer if he does this. Even though it'll probably be the maybe very, very it's justified. the right thing to have done, but still he'll... But will it even happen? Like, we see Cersei maybe in, all the shots of Cersei are her indoors. And we have all these shots of Jamie kind of walking along the battlements outside King's Landing, and we have him at, you know, deployed in battle at the Field of Fire, New Field of Fire. When If he's captured or killed in battle, well, he certainly won't be killing Cersei. So I kind of wonder how, if that, I don't know, from the, the trailers make me think that's not going to happen. Maybe or, would, or it'll happen much later. Maybe he'll be killed with Cersei. Yeah. The two of them together captured and executed. They came into the world together, apparently holding each other's arms. To go out that way. That would also be, but there's a lot of poetic ways for them to go out. Some of them less tragic than others. So that that's a very good question. Pretty hard to tell where it's going to go. But I, yeah, I kind of lean towards them going in another direction. As much as it seems like it might be going in that direction in the books, but that's neither here nor there. Tyrion and Jamie's reunion is another question we have here. And that's a great question. First of all, will they even have a reunion? We know they'll be pitted against each other on opposite sides of the battlefield, but will they actually have a face to face? I don't know. I really don't know about that. That's really tough. If they do have a face-to-face, -face, that's another thing that could get ugly and could maybe maybe derail the meeting. <laughs> I don't know if they have, like, peace talks and Jamie and Tyrion just argue the whole time. <laughs> I would love to see a scene of Jamie, you know, going as a, an envoy or maybe just on his own to meet with Danny or whoever else mm. just to discuss, you know, maybe on some level Jamie might be like, she's crazy, I can't betray her, but I don't want her to die. How can we work this out? I could see something like that happening. I can't remember if I talked about this when we talked about the trailer, but something that I don't know how likely this is, but I think it would be very cinematic, and I would love it, if that scene where Jamie's charging, if what he's charging towards is Tyrion on a dragon. Whoa. In a battle that's all but lost, and Jamie feels like he's lost everything anyway, and he charges in, but Tyrion just can't kill his own brother. And Tyrion just like flies the dragon off. Just can't do it. And Jamie's yeah. just left on his battlefield alone. He knew how making killing his father made him feel. He's not eager to repeat <laughs> the feeling of yeah. killing yeah. his brother, who he actually used to like. He never really liked his father, for good reason. Okay, so a question from Sam Forsyth: Is Dragonstone attack on King's Landing a decoy to draw all forces from the west and doing and the real invasion through Casterly Rock? Well, that fits in kind of with what I was saying. It's a, it's a alternate. Uh, sub idea to what I was suggesting with them maybe making multiple attacks at once. They may make these multiple attacks at once not just to divide the Lannister forces, but if they do it in a certain order, like Sam is suggesting, it may create an opening, right? And we, we can see from the planning session, Tyrion, and they knock over the lion on the map in one of the trailers, which is kind of shows like that almost it's either like, and then Castle Rock will fall, or it might be, ah, Castle Rock has fallen. 
So I can see them drawing, I kind of doing that. It's good. It's a good idea, Sam. That's a good good possibility that there's this is some way to make it look like King's Landing is the focus, and it makes sense. King's Landing would be the that's the seat of power. That's where the Iron Throne is. So they would they would buy this. You know, oh, they're attacking here. Of course, that makes sense. But I'm drawing a blank. What was uh the uncle? What's Tywin's brother's name? Kevin. Kevin. He's back at Castorley Rock. He's dead, right? How did he die? He was at the crept. He was there. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I, I, the too. last I can remember is him saying, "I'm I'm going back." Yeah. No, he was up. he was cleaned up nicely, like so many others. <laughs> <laughs> so many people were there. This the yeah Kevin and Mace and and everyone but Olena and the Tyrell family basically. Yeah, just nasty. Bam, bam, bam. So poor Kevin. Uh, <laughs> we hardly knew ye. Okay, question from Tracy McMillan, uh, Lady Air Airdross. Hi there. Is Storm's End is it Storm's End that we're seeing Grey Worm approach in the boat? Her idea is that instead of Casterly Rock or King's Landing, it could be uh, Storm's End because Davos and Mel entered a little cave when they were breaking in, and maybe this is what we're seeing. I think that's a clever thought, but I don't think so. I just don't think there's time for Storm's End. Storm's End hasn't hardly been mentioned at all in the show. Like it was certainly dealt with when Stannis and Renly were a thing, but it was pretty minor. We haven't been back there at all. I just don't think so. I think there's too little time for that. I think it's got to be one of the main locations. I don't think they have time for another location. And think about that. Like, the logistics between adding another location, that means they got to find another real-world castle. they got to do all this stuff. So, from a real-world filming perspective, I'm down on that idea. But I do think that if they had all the time in the world, they would absolutely cover Storm's End as well. But I think that's uh, kind of a... a casualty of the lack of time and the necessary budgeting. Okay, let's talk about let's let's move on a little bit. We're gonna we're past the halfway point. We're gonna start start talking about Con of Thrones pretty soon. But a couple more things from season seven. A couple more questions that we have here from Samada Riazzo. That's a hard name to say. Do you think the Citadel will be destroyed? It has similarities. It has similarities to the Library of Alexandria. I'll also point out that it has similarities within A Song of Ice and Fire history to the libraries of the Kingdom of Sarnor, which was destroyed, which is also meant to be a reference to Alexandria. Interestingly, the kingdoms of Sarnor were destroyed by the Dothraki. <laughs> now, I don't see the Dothraki going all the way to Old Town this season and destroying it. First of all, why would they destroy it? Second of all, uh, what are they? You know, why would Danny want to attack Old Town if, Ty- if the Tyrells are on her side? Mm-hmm. However, maybe Euron attacks Old Town. Maybe Euron takes Old Town. That would, first of all, that would bring Sam into the main plot a bit, which is something we're going to talk about in a minute. Sam is kind of the new Arya. He's kind of on his own, doing his own thing. He's not wrapped into any plot. It's, you can see how he might be getting here. I'm just talking about it now. He could get wrapped back into the plot in a lot of different ways, but right now he's on his own. So that could be a thing. Old Town could be involved that way. And we do know we're going to see Old Town. So as far as like the logistics of you know having another set, well... They've already got that set, you know. They don't even have to show the outside of Old Town anymore because they already showed it in Season 6. So all we need to see is the inside of the Citadel, potentially. Uh, so I do think... I don't know about it being destroyed, but I definitely think there's a strong chance of it. I, I kind of... I feel more strongly about it that happening in the book for reasons that have nothing to do with this episode. But because it might happen in the book, that always makes you think maybe it's going to happen in the show, too. But kind of like Storm's End, I wonder if they're just kind of... kind of They just don't have enough time for it. But... I think it's a lot more likely that they have time for it than they do Storm's End. Let's put it that way. Question from Armando Echevarria, or Echevarria. Just want to say, love your podcast and videos. Question, do you think we might see some more of House Dane in Season 7? And do you think guy, uh, guys think that at least Dawn will play some role? 
Uh, sadly, no, I don't think, first of all, thanks for the, the love, but no, I don't think, I think the Danes are a casualty of the TV show. Um, they gave a little nod to Dawn by having Arthur Dane's sword have a little Dawn symbol on it. I think that's all they're going to do. I really don't think the Danes, there's no, there's been no Dark Star. There's no, not even an Edric Dane. Uh, so I, yeah, I just don't think so, which is they're too bad. all that for a spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> the Danes, yes. Uh, Dane to Dane will be the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> Now we have a question from Alexander Wilson. What are your overall expectations for season seven? Okay, well that's a pretty Epic. big, oh yeah, it's a pretty big <laughs> open-ended spectacle. question. So we'll let's let's do this. Well, each of us will make a couple of brief predictions because that's too big of a question for us to Those take as a whole. I'm gonna be accurate. All right, Shannon, guy, or Sean, what do you, you have some just basic two-minute expectations, like major things you're expecting that we have maybe that we haven't talked about. Hmm, that we haven't talked about. Yeah, it's kind of tough. I kind of really put you on the spot my, there, didn't I? I? I gave a glib answer, to be clear, because I can't speculate on the season, because I'm fully spoiled on everything. <laughs> yeah, she is not, uh, she did not avoid spoilers like we, no. which is why she's perfect to manage our chat window. To yeah, if anyone does drop a spoiler, she knows who's you. being naughty and who's <laughs> being nice. It's hard, it's hard for me to talk about because there's so many potentials, and I'm still like absorbing all the little bits. Like, I feel like I'm absorbing all the little bits of information that's out there. One thing I've learned this past couple weeks, there's a lot more bits of information out there than I ever (laughs) knew and trying to process them all. Literally, people have made it their job and I've been impressed with how much investigation people do, you know, looking into footage and behind the scenes and interviews and how much there is out there. I tend to think more in terms of where I feel the show has gone and where it's going. I mean, since I'm trying to like analyze the nature of the characters and the direction of the plot and looking back, project forward. I recognize that there's all sorts of uh, extraneous information that can add to that and help with that. And a lot of times I can't help but incorporate, especially when it comes to things like what's in the budget or how many episodes they have to deal with something, like the idea of Sansa being pregnant. I feel like when you look at the show, there's a lot of clues for that. But when you think about the just timeline, knowing how yeah. many more episodes there are, how how does that get worked in? So yeah. I, that that sort of extraneous analysis will affect my predictions but there's so much more extraneous information that's out there and i'm sure people make way better predictions than me uh it's still fun to think about and one thing that i often think about is what i want to happen and usually i can be sure that won't happen it's more likely i want to see this character this character interact it's more likely this character this character gonna be killed or fight each other when they finally meet yeah Uh, as far as my expectations uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we'll just—I oh, will yeah. just to keep you keep it moving. I think big thing that's going to happen: the wall coming down at the end of the season. That's one prediction I have because it's got to come down, or it's got to be a big. Either it comes down, or there's a large breach in it, something that allows them to flood the north. I really feel like that is going to be like kind of like an epilogue type thing that happens. It's like, oh boy, season eight is going to be all about this. About the walkers are now finally in the kingdom. They've got their army of the dead with them, and it's growing constantly, and the long night has come. We need that darkness, you know, and I think that might be a really perfect way. Like, what could be more epic than that? Well, I, I, maybe maybe just something I'm not thinking of, but I think there's that, and I and on top of that, I think there's going to be a lot of sadness. I think there's going to be some, oh, that character's dead now. Things are going to get pared down. We have, after the season, okay, to be fair, this is a seven-episode season, but it's more like eight episodes in terms of length. But then we're gonna have to wait a year. Apparently, that's that's the that's the the almost confirmed rumor at this point. Maybe it is fully confirmed at this point. And then there's only gonna be six episodes for season eight. But they're already talking about like feature length 
episodes. Each like one is like a feature episodes, film. Each of, one being an hour and a half long or something. Yeah, so we think things are going to wrap up be quicker, maybe quicker than we thought. Or not as quick as we thought. Like, in some way, from a book perspective, it's like, how can they do all this stuff in just a short period of time? Well, that's part of it, is they're going to extend these episodes and make them, like, really long. So... Oh, but they really want to leave us. I think they really want to leave us on on a big cliffhanger moment. Pretty sure it's that we don't get it in 2018. It'll be 2019. Oh, I meant to say 2019. Yeah, I meant you're right. I, that's what I was talking about. But I, I said the wrong year. Wait, but is yeah. it two year wait for the final season? Yeah, there's gonna be a season, that's, that, which is all, which is part of the reason I think oh. they need to really hit <laughs> I quit. us with something. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> which is, so that's why I think they're gonna hit something really big at the finale, like something that will like, oh man, we gotta wait so long to keep the anticipation. Like, oh, we gotta wait for two years. Oh. <laughs> so I think that's what they're going to do to us. <laughs> they're going to hit us with the wall coming down and be like, boop, now you got to wait two years. <laughs> well, all the show people will get just a hint of what us book people feel like. You know, that's that's nothing. A wait of two years, that's nothing, <laughs> folks. We've uh, It'll give you time to finally finish A Clash of Kings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fingers crossed, everybody. <laughs> yeah, and it'll give, yeah, speaking of, it'll give uh, George R. R. Martin more time to finish The Winds of Winter. So maybe he can beat season eight. He's obviously not beating season seven. <laughs> that's clearly... Uh, Unless he Beyonce's it or something. <laughs> That would be the wow. biggest yeah. moment. That would be so huge. That's the, he's like, screw the show. I'm going to release to Winds of Winter the, see, the day of season seven's premiere. He's going to announce it July 16th. What would we do if he really did that? Yeah. <laughs> no idea. That would be so How crazy. Would crack up. What would we do? Yeah, I would crack up too. It would be. I would crack up like Arya does when Lysa is like, I'd be like, ah! It'd be like that insane, like, yeah, what do we do now? Yeah. Let us, uh, we'll, we'll call this the midpoint of the episode, even though it's well past the midpoint of the episode. With that, I've got some shout-outs. I want to give shout-outs to our Sellsword Captains, our Ironborn Captains, and our Northern Champions. So first off, thanks to Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, Captain of the Werewood Wanderers, to Long Lives, Quick Deaths, Cold Beer, and Warm Women. Dagron, Marshal of the Axe, Captain of the Red Tide. Resistance is futile. Dagron, I, I wonder, did we meet you at Con of Thrones? We met so many people, and I knew you said you were going to be there. I hope we got to shake your hand. And I'm sorry, I forgot if we did. I just It's such a blur. <laughs> we'll be talking about that. Why? It was such a blur in a minute. <laughs> Garion Pike, wielder of Grave Embrace of Lyrian Steel Axe, captain of the Iron Wave. Iron's kiss is eternal. Excellent. Chiron Carlsbane is captain of the Stone Shields. The torrent breaks upon the stone. Captain Kithic Deadeye is of the Scarlet Longbows, pierced by darkness. Kebushard, or Kerbushard, excuse me, captain of the Walking Drum. Yol Bolsan, which translates to May There Be a Road. Hema Helminth, captain of the Whispering Children. Dead men tell no secrets. Lady Lajara Dajo, the Iron Lily, Master Archer, and Castellan of the Summer Island Keep Arboreal Point, captain of the all-female Wailing Widows. Women and children first is their motto. And welcome to Cody the Crimson, bastard of Bracken, captain of the Red Waste Exiles, and recruiter of the Free Folk. Shout out to my Free Folk peeps. <laughs> Iron Captains. We have an Ironborn set here of Patreons. Led off by Kathleen the Ruthless, Captain of the Night Terror. Black Matos Stormrider, Captain of the Rusted Hinge. And then we got to hang out with Matt at Con of Thrones. Hey there, buddy. Rebea, Lady of Waves, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat, who had a question read today. Tusk Shield, Breaker Captain of Kraken's Fury. Oisin the Wanderer, Captain of Naga's Living Flame. Sir Selvus Redblade of White Harbor, Captain of Trident of the North. Lord Chucklaws, Captain of Drummond Nightblood, Destroyer of Evil. Another first time being read there. Also, we have... Northern Champions, Jay Wilson, Winter's King, Sir Stephen, the Hammer of the North, Winter's King, Lord of the First Men, Lady Air Ardross, Mother of Wolves, who also had a question read today, Sir Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, 
Sir Brian the Return, Knight of the Last House, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Red Song, and finally, last but not least, Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith. Words are wind, deeds are stone. You've got a lot of champions. We, we gotta do. get in some fights or something. We're well represented. <laughs> yeah, we're ready for the for the long night over here at History of Westeros, especially because we got sunny Atlanta here. It's nice and warm. Mm-hmm. We're ready for the winter. Mm-hmm. In the middle of July. <laughs> We're always ready for the winter in the middle of July in Atlanta. Yeah, that's why she's wearing a beanie, right? <laughs> now, if you want to get a cool Patreon nickname like that, go to historyofwesteros.com and select the Patreon tab on the right there. Lots of different ways to help out the show besides Patreon, but if you're interested in getting a nickname like that, how lots of ways a, to do that. How about a champion of the beard? Whoa, that is... That was going to be my next topic. We are starting a new Patreon level. It's not up yet, but we're working on it. It's called the Beard Guard. <laughs> and the special thing there is you get your nickname read by this guy instead of by my boring ass. So you get Sean to mix yeah. things up. So if you want to be in Sean's to- Beard Guard, let us know and we'll get I- that set up soon. I want us to have a, a council of the beard, a beard council as well. Okay, a Beard Guard and a council of the beard. Let, let us, us know, know. which you'd prefer. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing. Oh, we have a question. What's the countdown by Brendan B. Fish these days? That's Brendan B. Fish, our good friend, is... Uh, Who've been on episodes with us, of course. Absolutely. He's been counting down the, <laughs> the number of days left in this year that the Winds of Winter could possibly come out still. Meaning the <laughs> last date possible that it could be announced and still come out this year. It's in the 90s. There's still a chance the Winds of Winter could come out this year. <laughs> but uh, I'm not counting on it. <laughs> That's just what I always do. I never count on it because then <laughs> I'm never disappointed. Yeah. Okay, so let us move on to our kind of Thrones chat. We got a few questions, and oh, what is this on the screen here? We've got some great pictures. Oh, look at me there, looking hot. Look at me and my knees. I'm showing off some knees there. Mm. Big shout out to Rawrist of Rawrist Channel. And if you don't know Rawrist, check her out. She's another great Game of Thrones analyst YouTuber. Who, not pictured there. Not pictured there, but her work is pictured there. Rawrist made the Septa costumes that are on display here. She did not make my burlap sack because <laughs> that required only a burlap sack and a pair of scissors. So she's not good enough for that. So yeah, she, I, yeah, she's <laughs> not good enough for cutting holes in burlap sacks. But she can make fancy Septa costumes. But you did have some other notable Septas. Absolutely, some other notable Septas. That was my next point. We have Because Val right there in the far right at Because Geek from on Because YouTube. Geek. Absolutely, check her out as well. She's part of the stream that was promised along with Rawrist that's coming this Sunday. And we got to meet her in person as well at Con, and that was a great time. She uh, was one of the people that introduced us to Jackbox Jackbox Live. So thanks to them. Thanks also to Allison, Jaden, and Faith, who the other Septa's there, my free friends. What a perfect friends. name for a Septa, Faith. All right? How perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now we have this, shall we say... Um, Beautiful photo. Beautiful photo. True artwork never seen before by (laughs) any man before. This is love in action right here. If you you don't notice, this is David Peterson from the creator of the languages that we all love, Dothraki, High Valyrian, and a whole host of other languages with Zach from Game of Owns, who we had starting off our episode today. That's right. And let me tell you, I wasn't there for this. Oh, he's right there. Brought us. Oh my goodness, us. we have. Oh, wait, no, it's not on the screen. It's not on there. screen, but well, it'll be on screen in a second. Yeah, there we, we go. go. We yeah. have we have live delivered to us by Zach and Hannah. Bend the knee, oh, ale. Drinking out of this glass, this and we have. <laughs> Yeah, bend the knee in our game of thrones. I'm gonna pop this up wow, and we'll get back service. our camera. His is him trying to keep uh, keep this 
picture off screen because he's, he just he's, doesn't he's embarrassed to by this image uh, of being caught in uh, in the act. He's going to make all the other guys like me jealous. <laughs> I mean, were you already jealous? As we're, soon as I saw that photo, I mean... I'm about jealous, yeah. We're pretty You'll sure... You'll also notice that behind them is, I'll switch back to it, is young Hodor's arm chilling. Woo! That, oh. Sorry wow. for the loudness there, okay. folks. Popping that Ooh. open. Didn't know it was going to be that loud. Yeah, that was uh, I scary. thought it was going to be like one of those soft, like, poop, you know? <laughs> Instead, it was kablamo. Uh, but, young holders hanging out in the background there. Let me get this up here. And there's the other one. There we go. I'll take a nice swig off of this. Uh, that was. Uh, we have the Game of Thrones wine as well. Delicious. So we have... We need some Mountain Dew to mix this. We with. have. <laughs> there's a lot of great that photo opportunities gross. at this con. I think one of my favorite things uh, at cons where they have cosplay and stuff like that is seeing people in full costume in very mundane situations. And you can see on the screen the Night's King and Leaf hanging out enjoying a slice of pizza, <laughs> just as you do. They have to eat too. Yeah, everybody needs pizza, even even children of the forest and and their creations. And you see another picture of them with Hodor. That is uh, Josh Harrison of Doppel Raver Cosplay, and he carry he brings an Iron Throne around to different cons that he goes to, and dresses as a really fantastic Hodor with a brand on his back. And so they got that great photo. That Night King, by the way, he had uh, he had the right poise and movements. You know, when he walked and turned, he he. They should just cast him for the role. He was awesome. Yeah, he was he was very good. And here's this, these are two of my favorite pictures from the con personally. Right here. Look at that. I mean, little you Khaleesi. Just, aren't your hearts just melting just looking at that? <laughs> that is something I else. I mean, oh, I can't get over it. And I that's don't. a wonderful segue real quick to just before we go any more pictures, I want to just describe a little bit about the con and the venue and and what to expect. And to give a little perspective on what these photos mean to us, this Khaleesi one is really good in, in a lot of ways because it shows the diversity of people there. You have a little girl there at this con. And we also have people, you know, partying and drinking and having a good time at, uh, at after parties and things like that. So it's really diverse in that sense. And first of all, the location. Wow. Right? The location, it was set at Opryland in Nashville. And the Opryland is just... It's hard to describe. It's like this big dome. It's multiple atriums with actual plant life, actual water, a river boat that you can travel around the river. And like there's three atriums that it consists of and you just travel throughout them. It's like a, a village under a dome. There's trees growing and there's a river flowing through and there's multiple these, you know, conference rooms and meeting halls. They can fit thousands of people, which they needed that space for all the people there for this con. Bit of, a, bit of a maze to find your way through the place. We got lost multiple way. times. Yeah. All of us did. <sighs> really was. But the, overall, though, the con was a great success. There was maybe some people kind of wondering whether enough people would show up or how it would work or this and that or whether how well it would be organized. First-year cons occasionally have trouble like that. And, there, you know, there were a few problems organizing, but nothing major. It was it was very well done. You know, there's some things that if they don't fix next year, there'll be some complaints. But the, the setup, the organization, as far as the... Zach and the people who put it together, Watchers on the Wall, had a big role in it. And they did a fantastic job of networking and creating this community and building it from within the community, which I think is huge, something we all really appreciate, because this is a community first and foremost. This, As you've seen, like, think about what I announced at the beginning of this episode. A, a live stream covering multiple YouTube channels all working together. Some of us knew each other, but we all got to know each other a lot better at Con of Thrones, and that's emblematic of the kind of things that happened there. A bunch of people working together, a bunch of people getting to know each other, a bunch of people like kind of reveling in their community. 
the thing I wanted to point out about those YouTube channels, we're all friends. We're not competing with each other. There's no drama between us. We're not fighting. We're not competing for views or subscribers. We're sharing. We're doing this all together. And that just gives me a warm fuzzy like this, uh, like this Omegang <laughs> ale does about how... This gives me a warm fuzzy too, this next image. I'm <laughs> yeah, do it, do it. This con had at least one proposal. I heard there was a second, but I haven't actually seen photos of it. But the proposal you'll see on the right um, by Milan, Milanic uh, Photography on Instagram... They got Ramsey, Ewan Rian, to get involved in the proposal and got photos of it. The story supposedly goes like this. Guy walks up to Ewan and is like, hands him a little box and is like, open it. And Ewan is suspicious because someone handing Ewan a box is <laughs> like, what is this, a dick in a box? Come on, dude. What are you doing here? So he was suspicious. But he then was like, he was convinced to open it. So he opens it and he's like, oh. And the girl's got no idea what's happening here. She's like, what is going on here? And next thing she knows, actual Ewan Rian, Ramsey Bolton, is proposing to her for her boyfriend. And obviously she was pretty happy about yeah, it. Yeah. And he's got the same exact expression throughout all these photos. It's pretty <laughs> great. He's got that, ah, you know, like, ah, yeah. So that worked out well for everybody. I mean, that's a story to tell for the rest of your life. Yeah, Ewan Rian proposed to me. Whereas this other person here in the other photo to the left just gave their baby to the Night's King. <laughs> yeah, pretty standard. That's, that was let's the get best into it. meme that came out of the con so far. Because, I mean, what a great image. <laughs> that one's been memed already. That one's out there on the interwebs already floating around. A lot of different captions are put up with it. People made good use of that one. Now, another cool thing about the, that makes the Game of Thrones community amazing is that a lot of the uh, ac actors and actresses are really approachable, too. Not only is Ewan Reen involved in proposals, but look at Kate Dickey here. Look at Lysa Tully hanging out with... I took this photo of her hanging out with... This is Oz of Thrones from Watchers on the Wall, and they've known each other for a while but had never met in person, and so it was great seeing them bond. We got to eat dinner with Kate Dickey sitting next to her, and she is just so friendly and funny and approachable and obviously takes a really great photo. <laughs> yeah, she is hilarious. And she has, you wouldn't know from her role as Lysa, not only is she the opposite in terms of her niceness, because Lysa is not very not nice, but she has a really thick Scottish accent. It just gives you more of an appreciation for the different voices these, these, these actors and actresses can pull off. Because it's it's really different <laughs> the way she sounds in real life. And that's true for a lot of these people we met. We yes. ran into Miltos, yes, as in Syria, in the hallway, and Took that the elevator is, with him. Yeah, we were on the elevator with him. And that dude has a like a thick British accent. You know, nothing like how he talks in the show, and that's just great. He's, he's mm -hmm. just a great actor. Yeah, we also got to talk to a bunch of the other actors. I got to talk to, you know, OG Marcella and Shireen Baratheon, that is Carrie Ingram and Amy Richardson. Got to meet, you saw that picture with young Hodor, Sam Coleman at the party. But definitely Kate Dickey and Milta Serial Pharrell were just the chillest, most friendly. Like they, It was like they were enjoying the con themselves in their own rights without being the guest. Yeah, I, sat, uh, I sat in on the panel uh, with the... Uh, with all the stars, you know, and they had a bunch of different questions for him. They told a bunch of stories and they were all fun and, and, and good natured about all of it. And in one section they had asked them, uh, I, I might not have the context quite right, but it was something along the lines. They were asking everyone, what were your last lines? Do you remember your last lines? Can you, mm -hmm. can you reperform yes. them? And, uh, the actor that played young Hodor was there and he, he was really funny. He's for this question. He's like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember what my last words were. Yeah, something was and the audience is like, oh, you know, you know. And he's like, it was something about grab the window, grab the window. That's what it was. <laughs> and, uh, Shireen was, uh, oh, my last words, my last, um, I think ah. it was, 
Ah, mom, dad, <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good experience, the two of them. Shireen and, and, and uh, well, I said Shireen. Carrie and Amy are friends in real life, and what an amazing experience for them to get to be at this con together where they're, you know, sort of the center of attention together. You know, that's really cool. They just get a nice friend vacation, the two of them. It's awesome. The only Very bummer cool. for them is that they couldn't drink because back in England, there's no drinking. <laughs> so you come to the States and like, wait, what? I lost my freedom. <laughs> yeah, what the yeah. hell is this? There's a lot of really funny things at the con. I mean, obviously a lot of people are really hilarious, but they had the opening and closing ceremonies. And you can see the picture here. They had uh, characters the show has forgotten. A <laughs> uh, support group, as you can see there, uh, for all the forgotten characters. And from left to right, you can see Val, a character from the books, Quentin Martell, a Martell from the books that was cut. That is, I can't even see. Clearly. That's Book Stannis, I Book think. Book Stannis, the moderator the, of their therapy session, Gendry, oh, who's Gendry, been yeah. disappeared, and then a, a very funny, a very funny Victorian Greyjoy. And off camera is Lady Stoneheart. Who is standing off camera, played by Hannah of Game of Owns, who started our episode yeah. off. <laughs> Which I should come clean with our audience. I'm not. I'm partly sullied now. I became aware. <laughs> we won't aware. sully anyone on this. Yeah. But Sean didn't know about that for until this con, until these opening ceremonies, and it's kind of a relief for all of us <laughs> yeah. that he knows now. So we'll to dance around that anymore. Yeah. So we have a question. Oh, wait, do we have more pictures to show? Uh, we do have plenty do we more, have pictures. more pictures to show. Do we? Yeah, of course we do. Of course. <laughs> of course we do. Uh, here's this is a nice one. One that we two photos we got uh, some listener different listeners who came up to talk to us and one of them there on the left was dressed as a really gorgeous Lyanna Stark. I loved her outfit. I thought she really looked great. By the way, of interest to cosplayers, as usual in any sort of con or Game of Thrones gathering, Daenerys is number one or near number one most popular costume. But number two and maybe number one. It's high. we didn't get an exact count of the cosplayers. Like who could do that? Lyanna. Liana was maybe the number one cosplay, at least number two. There yeah. were so many Liana, so many versions of Liana. There was funeral Liana, as in covered in blood. There was there Liana was a, like this. There was a crypt Liana. There was a crypt there was Liana, a... statue Liana. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. And then there was a, a wedding day Liana who had a, reg, uh, a Targaryen wedding cloak. So there's uh -huh. people who, for people who believe in that theory. So really cool collection of, of Liana and da Daenerys cosplays, but... Check out this shot of the winners of the costume convention of the costume contest here. Look, this was at the this. top six. Yeah, look at that one one. Are you kidding me? Yeah, one one. Of course, one one. The joke around <laughs> the con because how can you not say that? Jon Snow, who it was a, a person who actually looked quite a lot like a Kit Harington, did look alike. He wow. got second place and. I, I don't actually don't know that you can see him in that shot. As it he's, turns out. Yeah, he's the one with the, his face oh, is kind of bright. Oh, I can see him. He was a little yeah. hidden. Yeah. But anyways, um, he got second. Knight's King with Leaf, because you could enter in pairs, got third. And then the next bottom three, which they didn't place them in order, but the other three in the top six were from left to right. Sandor Clegane is, the, is you know, the hound, and he had a big hound helm. And then Ramsey and Miranda as a pair. And then Cersei and Kyburn as a pair. And so the, the pairings really worked out well for people. I like that they allowed you to submit in a group like that. That's right. That's very true. 
What do we have next here? Uh, next, we have some pictures from panels. Panels, good. Okay, so we'll have some photos of panels, then we'll talk about the panels. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have footage of these panels or recordings of it. It's still up in the air, what we'll be able to release. But this panel on screen, we did a, this is us prepping, getting ready for our Westerosi Beasts and Where to Find Them panel, which we did with Rawrest. Uh, That's Rawrest on the far right there, yeah. Sean and I, and we had fun coming up with, we, we did a little uh, game with Sean where we named four... Uh, we named four creatures, and one of them was not an actual Westerosi beast. Like, for instance, Stone Bear was the fake one in one of our sets, and so we named a bunch of different ones and talked about them. So I'm hoping we can release that. I don't that. think I got any of them right. You guessed them both wrong, it's true. <laughs> uh, we have another great shot here of Aziz on a panel with Vanessa Cole from Watches on the Wall. That is uh, the guys from Bald Move mm -hmm. podcast as well. That is both Jim and uh, Aaron. And Aaron, I call him. It's Aaron Hubbard. Yeah. I just I just picture it written out. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that was great. That was, I believe, my first panel. I did the most panels of anyone at Con of Thrones. We counted. 13. I counted. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty fun. I, it was hectic. And, uh, well, we'll talk about the panels more in a second. Here's some more, sh here's some more photos. Here's a photo of the winning trivia team, the Brains of Castamere, which yeah. of course has a Z's on it, no surprise, but also Sean and some other great people that we've talked about already. That's right. We have Chris from Smokescreen there in between Sean and me. We have Tarzan from Trial by Trivia behind me on the right, or my my left. That's Val from Because Val, Because Geek in the front there. And that is Kevin from Labat, The Bat Productions on the far right, your right. And... We did win the trivia, and Val suggested maybe we shouldn't have been playing. And <laughs> we won't next year, probably. <laughs> they did... They drafted me. They're drafting me to be part of the the, the answer confirming uh, to make sure everything's right, and that's probably a good place for me. We did have the, the trivia was great. It was run by Rawrest and by uh, Beck Seal and by uh, Sue the Fury from all of them from Watchers on the Wall. The two of them. That's right, and they did a fantastic job. Especially dealing with people like me who were arguing about a few of the questions. <laughs> but that just all got, stands up and goes, no! You know, it all got resolved peacefully. We're all friends. But it was, you know, occasionally there's, occasionally things aren't always quite there right. A lot of trivia. People it happens. Involved you know. in it too. I think they were expecting, you know, seven or eight teams and there were like 20 or 30 teams. They had a huge turnout. In that yeah. room. Everyone was excited about it. It got kind of sweaty in there actually. <laughs> like, so we won a few bits of swag that we gave away except for the watchers in the wall bag that I kept. Uh -huh. I needed a, a con bag and it proved very handy so very yeah. timely uh win there and there were a bunch of prizes dvds and stuff like it was that, good yeah. stuff we got a nice king funko pop that's the other one we, that we actually kept <laughs> yeah to put with our kings we have one of those uh you know paper cutout that you build uh king's landing maps uh just a model of it, a model of king's landing and so we put the knight's king looming over king's landing that's right but uh they're not the only winners there. I, uh, I was going to say. I'm a big winner. I'm waiting to upload it. Um, someone told me they got video footage of it, but I won the great debates. The best idea for a new HBO spinoff with my pitch that I've been working on for years now, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> now that I think about it, my eyes widen and realize how long I've wanted this. But... Uh, I won the great debates. Uh, I went against some really good choices like Blackfire Rebellions, Robert's Rebellion, some great historic, like some great hysterical, uh, ideas like a show called Where Do Whores Go? And it's about a Golden Girls style show where all of these women have reached the ripe age of 25 and they've had to retire <laughs> from Littlefinger's brothel and they're living in a house together in King's Landing. I really wanted that show to, 
to be created. I want some comedies set in Westeros. I, I would like them to branch out into that one day. Do you was, have uh, do you have like maybe the first couple of lines? Do, can you remember what you the beginning of your I pitch? I do the beginning of my pitch. This will get you excited, it. I think. Well, okay. Now you got me all nervous pressure's about the disease. The pressure's on. <laughs> the video will be out, but no, it was a. A thousand years prior to the start of the series, the Valyrian Freehold closes in on the children of the Rhoyne, but one woman counsels peace. <laughs> Kidding about that, but that is the case. And that was the first area. I practiced it. I did. I practiced it. I timed it. I thought that the debates were supposed to be two minutes or less, and I was like picturing a podium and a timer there. I was picturing something <laughs> pretty serious, and so I timed myself. And so then when I talked to Joanna Robinson and the guys at Storm of Spoilers who were running the great debates, they were like, oh no, you have plenty of time. So I took a leisurely six minutes for the pitch, and I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am to get the footage and post it and show HBO that that's what they got to do. Yeah, we'll share it when we've yeah. got it, and yeah. if we don't get it, we'll do our best to share what it was. And it's a good pitch. I'm not surprised that she won. Someone else pitched something that I had actually thought about oh, also, yeah? which was a just a, a straight drama in the in the world of it was, Westeros. It was, their idea was that it was set in the aftermath of the Tower of Joy. Ned Stark has come home to Winterfell with young Jon, and uh, there's this tension going on because he's brought a new mm -hmm. child into the house. Him and Catelyn have this undercurrent, and so they compared it to The Americans, which is a show that we like that is... I mean, as a straight drama goes, it's, it's I mean, it's it's so yeah. good. I was thinking about the Americans, if anyone watches that, and how they're, they're living these dual lives and have to hide things from each mm -hmm. other. And here and there, there's some action, but it's really the drama of these family dynamics. And I was thinking, based on a question someone had asked me in one of the panels, I was thinking about the family dynamics of how Ned and Caitlin interacted when they first got married, how Winterfell was run, how things get disrupted when he goes off to war and when he comes back with the kid. Yeah. And just a drama about that... To me, that would be so much more exciting than I know I'm not. I know I'm in a minority here, but I'm so much more excited about that than I am about even dragons. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean you're right. Like that's the thing. It's a completely like the major change that you're suggesting is a, a major difference in pacing, right? Like yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones is a fast show. It goes moves things along quickly, especially if you're a book reader. You realize how many things they just had to get past. And even if you accept, which I do, that they have to skip a lot of things, yeah. it doesn't change the fact that it feels a little rushed. But like if you take a show. That just goes with the day-to-day -day life of Westeros. Like a totally opposite version of just slowed down and just like see day-to-day -day, like what do they eat? How do they struggle to, to there make, all, I mean know. to say there are a lot of travelogue pitches. Right? <laughs> That's a good idea too. That yeah. is a Jorah good idea. the Explorer. Gendry visits Westeros and he like just different things. <laughs> and I, we were picturing it with a host. There were pitches for animated series like Muppet Tullys and a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, we got cool people coming in our chat here. Hey, yeah. everybody. Hey, uh, Eliana. Hey, Eintron. Hey, because geek there. Glad to have you with us. But uh, I'm very much hoping that we will, that they will be releasing the full best spinoff panel because they're supposed to have recorded it, but it's, it's unsure how good the recording is and how much the audience suggestions will be recorded. But hopefully but anyway, it'll be out there. We guarantee the HBO will do Shea's idea. <laughs> you heard it here pitch, first. And they're gonna be like, oh well shit, we'll just scrap all of our other scripts and just start from <laughs> This scratch. is clearly the best idea. Like, no, in actuality, I don't think that my pitch is the best pitch for the first spin-off. I think it's better for the second spin-off to be completely 
objective there. It's a little too deep, maybe. I think it's a little too deep. And even though, like, I in my pitch, I talk about how you can connect it to Valyria and the Targaryens and to Westeros because you start POVs very early with those things. Yeah. But I, I still can't help but be a little too logical myself and know that I'm not getting it. But I think I should get it for the next spinoff. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. We guarantee it for the next spinoff. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we have a question here from Josh Sandlin. Actually, Josh, we answered one of your other questions earlier and didn't say your name, but here, here, we do, here we'll fix that. Which was your favorite panel to present and which was your favorite to observe? So each of us will answer that question. My favorite panel, I'll start with me. Uh, my favorite panel to present was, I think it was the one, it's a hard choice. The thing with these panels was... You have 13 choices. Yeah, I have 13 choices. But the thing with these panels is, you guys are used to us talking about a topic or a, lar- a topic large or small or just one episode or just one trailer for two hours. <laughs> That's very common for us to take, to, to, to really, you know, take our time, take our time and really spell things out as much as we can and go deep and cover every little detail that we can. These panels were 50 minutes long. So that's not exactly our normal amount of time. And some of these topics were, were really big. big. Like we did a topic on the lesser houses of Westeros. Like how can we possibly cover the lesser houses, lesser houses of Westeros in fifty minutes? Family relationships in Westeros. Yeah, how can you do that in fifty <laughs> minutes? If you just did father-son relationships in King's Landing, that you know, I think that would be easy fifty minutes yeah. right there. So, so that's not a slam on the panels. It's just a matter of well, we couldn't go too deep in some of these things. We had to go, so we would try to find important subtopics within these categories and then kind of feel out what the crowd wanted from that. And, and it's kind of noting, there were 50 panels? There were so 60? many panels. There was a hundred, over 120 hours of programming. Yeah, I mean, you a lot of times... see everything because they were all cross-scheduled. You know, you, you always had your pick of things. Basically, any given time, there were four or five panels you could choose from. And that sometimes people were like, ah, I don't know what to pick. There's so many good options. And I will say... Aziz had 13 panels, but I had a panel in the Great Hall, in the main <laughs> in the stage, main room, yeah. which is where all the actors had a panel. I got to go <laughs> backstage in like, the green room area and hang out. I had that one with poor Quentin, who we've had on, of course, for our Euron episode, and who we've worked with before. And so we did a panel called Defending Dorn. It was Book Dorn, as people kept asking me, are you defending Show Dorn? I'm like, no, there's, there's no defending. Not much there. to defend there. <laughs> Nothing yeah. to defend there. That's Book a tall Dorn. hill to climb. But that was pretty <laughs> exciting to be up there on that stage with the lights on you, uh, Get, uh, two p and a lot of the other panels that we did, like especially Aziz and Sean, were three or four person panels. But I think the majority of my panels were two person panels with me and one other person, uh, and including that one. So that was a little. I had a little more room to breathe. We we noticed that we had different complaints about our panels. Sean was like, I I was worried I couldn't get everything in that I wanted to say in time, whereas. I was like, I never was worried about that. It felt very leisurely in all of my panels with just two two voices talking. Yeah, the panel the panels overall got a great response. And they were um, packed. They were packed for the most part. There's a couple that were less packed, partly because there were so many choices. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many panels to go to. But the fact that they could have five or six panels mm-hmm. at a time with just about all of them being packed is pretty good indication of the level of interest. In and let general. me tell you what packed is, by the way. The the rooms had approximately seating for 100 people, like 116 or Some something more, like but that. Yeah. I just like counted the those chairs. Those are the smallest multiplied. ones, yeah. But there were all, all those seats were full with a dozen people standing in the background. A couple panels people were turned away from for higher, just from fire hazards. Yeah, like Hotel yeah, staff were like, no, we can't have anybody can't have else many in people room. in a room, yeah. So that's one small thing that'll have to be addressed, but that's just, you know, that's the first year con. There's going to be little hiccups like that. That's a good problem to have. There's yeah. so <laughs> many people interested. We can't handle it all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, back to the question. My favorite favorite panel i think probably was the panel the lovecraftian influences of a song of ice and fire and i think the reason i liked it is because it was the most something i felt that was the newest to the fandom i think a lot of people 
a lot of people are aware that H.P. Lovecraft is a major influence on A Song of Ice and Fire, but I think a lot of people don't know the details of that. And maybe some people don't even know that at all. And so I think it was one of the most informative panels that we did. And it was we were able to cover a lot of it, unlike a lot of these other topics where it's like, well, we're going to have to pick and choose because we can't possibly cover it all. We had a really good back and forth. It was just two of us. And yeah, I think it went really well. We, we work well together and we're going to have Emmett back on our show in the future. And Sounds like we might get him to do a little writing for us as well, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that more some other time. But what do you got? What about you guys? I think my favorite one was about sidekicks. Um, mm. I, I, they're I've a little bit blurred like which one was which and who was on what with me. Uh, but there's so many things I liked about Sean in by general. The way. It was on two panels with David Peterson. Yeah, no yeah. big deal. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many things I liked about the con. One of them was the panels themselves, and there's so many things I liked about the panels. One of them was the the people that I was on the panels with. It was so neat to be with other fans and experts that uh, that also had you know expertise in other fields too. It was it was neat to get to talk to people about like other shows they watch or other things they're into. And the going into it, I was I was worried I hadn't done enough research and preparation. I was worried because if I knew these other people I'm on these panels with these you know, professional journalists, and I'm yeah. just this guy with a beard, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I was scared of being uh, underprepared. But I realized pretty quickly that. I probably had even overprepared. There was there was so much to talk about. You can never time. Over, overprepare. I suppose Sean. that's true, but <laughs> but with with the other people who are also experts and are full of informed opinions. But beyond even that, the audience was so excited to participate. They were just questions eating up place. what we yeah. had to say, and were so eager to both ask us more and also oftentimes interject their own thoughts like you know i had this idea that xyz you know what do you think about how do you incorporate that with this other idea and i realized that we just don't if we just had nothing to say and just took questions it would have taken a whole 50 minutes which is fine and and um I, again i'm not trying to be negative in any way because i thought everything about it was so awesome but but the one on sidekicks i think was my favorite i think it was uh, the, the the best interaction between myself and the other panel members the people in the audience and and had a lot of the most interesting thoughts i almost like we spent a lot of time this episode thinking about these different pairings of people it was really fun to think about all the different pairings of people we got a little bit into like exactly what is a sidekick how to rent romantic relationships mm-hmm. you know a lot of the questions that people asked really kind of stirred me and made me reevaluate some things not just about game of thrones but even about literature or relationships in general and in life you know so yeah it was really awesome I think my favorite panel was 100% the Great Debates. The one you best won. Yeah. The one I won. <laughs> but honestly, if I hadn't won, I think it would have been my favorite. Um, there was a lot of audience interaction, and I love TV shows. I mean, we have fandom media, our other podcasts where we're covering TV shows. I watch a lot of TV, so hearing people's spins on different shows and how they pitched it, and you know how you'll be like, it's lost plus that you know plus Game of Thrones, yeah. and that, you know the way that you pitch a show is really interesting to me. And there was just so many great ideas, and I really appreciated getting to talk to and hang out with the Storm of Spoilers people who we hadn't really um, been familiar with that much in the fandom prior to this. We hadn't had much interaction with them, and now I'm friends with them, and I, I'm happy about that in particular because they're really cool people who review a lot of shows that I particularly like, like Better Call Saul and The Americans and all these shows that I'm just happy to have common interests. But I think that was more their panel that I was able to be on and part of. I was just as much of an audience member, even though I was up at the front table. So I think my favorite panel that I uh, moderated was probably the Swords of Valyria panel that I did. Um, it was my first panel, and I did it with Kenny um, Axie from Watchers on the Wall and Something Like a Lawyer, uh, Jim McGeehan from Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire, and I had fun with 
and I had fun with that one because uh, we also like did a few little games, little trivia games. Um, I asked what three non-sword, non-bladed sword Valyrian weapons we know of. Yeah, uh, there's only three non ones, and so you can comment with that. I won't say it here. <laughs> I won't give it away. But we had fun with that. I like incorporating little trivia games into the panels. I don't have a favorite panel that I attended because I was too busy doing panels. I hardly <laughs> got to attend other panels. They were always at the same time as mine. I, I, as for the one I attended, I mean, I count the great debates for that as well yeah. um, as attending it really. But also, I really liked there was a the princesses panel. It was mm. a Sue the Fury from Watches the Wall interviewing Carrie and Amy, and it was just a really relaxed, chill conversation, personal, and I enjoyed that one a lot. Did you have a favorite that you attended? It was probably the one with all the stars. It was the Ghost of Westeros. The Ghost of, of, the Ghost of Westeros, yeah. yeah, that's good. Well, let me give a shout out to some other people that we were on panels with. Some we've already mentioned, but I want to make sure everyone's name is out there. Rawest. Val of Because Geek, Smokescreen, both guys there. Tony Teflon, of course. T- Steve Love, the uh, amazing impressioner. Impressionist? <laughs> Impressioner is not a word. He was also an, one of the Brotherhood Without Banners in an episode. He loves to mention his claim of fame of having a thumb shoved up his butt. Oh. That's He's that guy. <laughs> oh. Bald move guys. Uh, Vanessa Cole, Emmett Booth, a.k.a. Poor Quentin. Jim McGeehan was just mentioned from uh, Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire. Uh, Horse and politics of ice and fire. Yeah, there was uh, Sir Hunts was on a bunch of panels with Sean. I was going to mention Sir Hunts was a perfect example of the great community that we have going. Sean and I put there's a, a Con of Thrones app that people were communicating. People were using that Con of Thrones app a lot to communicate, to make friends, to meet up, to talk about what they liked. It's still and going. Didn't like. It's it still, is still going. You could still install Con of Thrones app and see all of the posts. It's really a, a really positive and friendly community on there. So you notice I have the shirt that says, that's what I do. I climb and I know things. Well, that's no joke. It's no joke. I do climb. And Sean climbs with me. We go climbing a lot. We go to he the climbing gym. He doesn't know things, though. I don't know things. <laughs> I only climb. The shirt's half true. So we, we asked Sir Mark. Hey, we're like, hey, and the Con Thrones up. Anyone want to go climbing with us? We found a gym in, in Nashville. It was before the con started. And Sir Hunts is like, yeah, You're I'm welcome in. welcome for the suggestion. It was a good Always idea. Always looking yeah, yeah. out for them. So we, we hooked up with him, went climbing, had a good time. And uh, we, uh, that's another person we met. But the thing is, we were, some of these panels got recorded. We, we didn't, uh, we have access to some of them, maybe. Some of them have yeah. already been posted. Smokescreen and Val have already posted some stuff. And there'll be more from some of these other channels. Sir Hunts has also. Sir Hunts has as, as well. Has, Excellent. As, or, as has Azor Ahai. That's right. Kyle Foster got to meet Kyle's him as well. Fucking chickens. And right. he got some really great interviews, some press interviews with the actors and things like that. And some cool vlogging footage as well. He asked, me, he asked me some cool questions on the panels too. Yeah. Also, shout out to Kenny from Watchers on the Wall. And of course, Sue and Joanna Robinson and David Chen. There's just so many people. So many people we weren't on panels with, but people we got to interact with and meet and... I know I'm going to forget some names. We got to meet a lot of you guys, a lot of yeah. patrons, a lot of people who are just fans of the show who know and us. some of you told us that you're in the Atlanta area because that's where we all live, the three of us. So please, if you're in the Atlanta area, hit us up. We should have a meetup. We're going to be at Dragon Con. Obviously, we had Game of Bones comps here to see us, and they're going to be at Dragon Con with us as well. So we want to have some sort of informal meetup. So please contact us. That's right. So I wonder, did we miss any names? We missed something here. Um, I think one of the things I was most excited about after the con was this band, Daenerys and the Targaryens. Of course. Yes, we were already already fans of the Manimals, which is another band that has... Delved into the Game of and Thrones they arena. And performed at Ice and Fire Con. Right. And so we're familiar with them, and they performed as well. But we didn't know Daenerys and the Targaryens, which is a, a punk band from Colorado that is fully Game of Thrones themed. Yeah. 
And their they songs dress are, in costume yeah. during the show. And we really fell in love with their music. I can't tell you how many times Aziz and I have listened to their CDs. They gave us two of their CDs. I've listened to them a bunch of times too, it's but true. she can tell you how many times. Yeah. It's not a secret <laughs> I can from tell me. you, but they <laughs> gave us seven or something. They they gave us two of their CDs. Uh, one of their members is actually a listener of ours, so they like it was this mutual appreciation, which is awesome. Shout out to Marcus for that. Yeah. But he so he was like, "Come get our CDs." It's like. Yeah, sure. Uh, I went and got two of their CDs. One of them was a live album. We put it in the car on the way home. And Aziz and I just like, how have we not been listening to this for <laughs> like years prior to this? And so we got home. I One of the CDs they gave me was a live CD that wasn't online. I immediately ripped that CD to put it on so we could stream it all the time. And we've listened to it countless times. I, it's been stuck in my head since Monday, since we left the con. The only time I haven't had Danny and a Targaryen song stuck in my head is when I've had... Uh... Quiplash song stuck in my yes. head. <laughs> We've yeah, made so, two really good discoveries from Con of Thrones. So definitely check them out. We've got a link to their video, Drogo. He didn't. Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. The lyrics are so good. The video is so good. Inspired awesome. in please, part by Chris Hardwick. Yeah, please show them some love and give them a like on their Facebook page or YouTube or Twitter, whatever social media you use. But like, I was shocked that they had so few likes because they're so good. I can't tell you how much that they're... The, it's good as a punk And if you're near be, Denver, yeah. check them out. Yeah, check them out. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're good, and they do a wide variety of genres too. Like, I mean, a lot of it still has that a punk tone. But they have a country song. They have a country they have a song, rock, like a bunch of rocking songs. Yeah, and, and even Joe Go, he didn't is a little different in that sense. That's, it's a little it's, more yeah, it's rappy, a little almost, rap, but, sort of yeah, like punk rap. I don't yeah. know what you call that, but it's good. But it's it's good. really good. Definitely check it out. Huh. What else do we have to cover? Did you guys? We mentioned everybody. I'm sure we forgot a few people. Some shout outs, people we met. There's so many people. We don't want to forget anybody, but it's inevitable because you know, the weekend was a blur. There was a lot a, of our listeners too. Like it was, absolutely. it was neat to meet these stars, but it was also neat to meet the. Uh, I don't know how much of a rush are we in. I, I wanted to tell we can, a we story. Can, we can, we can, we can tell a story. We can each tell right. a story. It's, it's, remember when you and I were walking oh. with Lysa Tolly. We're walking with and Kate Dickey. Oz of Thrones, yeah. hanging out with her. And uh, who and uh, Lauren Zach, and, and Zach was with us. We lost him. Yeah. Anyway, and we're walking along, and we. Maybe we're waiting on an elevator. We came around a corner or something, and there's this group of people. We see a group of women waiting for an yeah. elevator, and they and look I at us. And I can just see in the corner of my eye, they're like pointing and whispering to each other. And finally, one of them runs over, and we think, "Oh man, this crowd's about to swarm." Swarm Lysa. Yeah, and they come up to me, and they're like, "Are you? Are you Sean? Are you from house? Are you from Quincy?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And she like waves her friends over, and you're Shea, and they're like hugging us and taking pictures. And Lysa's just and she's there. just right behind us the whole time, backing <laughs> up. I'm sure at how fun. I'm sure she was relieved to have. Have a small reprieve, a reprieve from, from uh, the she, attention. But. She made a great joke. Uh, Kate Dickey, Lisa, again, that's her real name, said, made a great joke about how a lot of people asked her questions about her tits or her tats, <laughs> oh, yeah. as you say in Scottish. <laughs> and yeah. because Which they were fake. They were fake. They did not have a real boy sucking actually on sucking breasts. on her no. real breasts. And she, it seems yeah, obvious, she but people out, right? like asking the question for sure. Yeah, but she, it was really fun for listeners to come up and say, hey, I love the show. And I, it, it was... To me, I just like I said, I just feel like we're just kind of talking about this for fun. I yeah. forget sometimes how many thousands of people are out there uh-huh. care about this, and it was neat for me to connect with those people, and I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate everyone out there that watches this and keeps up with it and has the same passion and everything. I uh, had a funny experience like that. There was um, a podcast meet-and-greet event that we went to that we were on the schedule for, and... My, I myself and other podcasters I talked to about it, we were under the impression that it was a meet and greet for us to meet each other. For us <laughs> to go in there and, you know, meet the Storm of Spoilers people, get acquainted with Baldwin, all that. 
we walk in and just the room has a, a chairs all around the sides and it's just completely full, like no seats available, just people <laughs> sitting around in a circle. And I was just really disconcerted. Not for like a twelve second. people, hundred twelve people. He was, it was very disconcerting. <laughs> like, what well, how do we do this? Okay, let's stand in the middle and introduce ourselves and mingle and try to do this. It was it got really hot and very hectic in that room. So if I if, if you were there and we didn't get a chance to talk to you for very long or or at all. I can imagine some people might have been intimidated to come up and talk to us, but I was also intimidated to come up and talk to you. Yeah, I highly recommend folks going to Con of Thrones next year and any, really, going to the cons. The, the Con of Thrones, there'll be others. There's Ice and Fire Con that's, that's small and really fun, but there'll probably be others popping up now that this I one mean, was successful. We went that's to con, my guess. We went to Ice and Fire Con this year, and that's great as well. It's in Ohio this next year, and I can't recommend that enough for a really intimate, personal experience that's like summer camp for adults that like A Song of Ice and Fire. And they great description. Have, yeah. and they have improv and rap battles and all sorts of <laughs> Foam sword fights. Yeah, all sorts of crazy things. <laughs> and it's just a really fun, you know, personal, like, you, you just know everyone there. The, they had 200 people this past year, and they had doubled from the year before. So I really recommend it if Ohio is possible to get to. But otherwise, there'll definitely be some sort of Con of Thrones next year, although it hasn't been announced where or what weekend. Right. It's a, it's well, a, that's it's the Ice and Fire Con. Ice and Fire Con had... A few hundred people. Yes, Con Con Jones Jones had like a few thousand four, people. Four thousand, yeah. and yeah. I felt like I knew everyone there too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> obviously, it's not as intimate if it's only a couple hundred, but still, like everyone was friendly enough, and I did meet so many people. And now I know even more, and I'm sure I'm still meeting more. So here's the thing: I want to, I'm going to just break it, take it down just for a second. The thing about a lot of these cons. A lot of this community, including people like me, it doesn't seem like I would be like this, but I'm kind of introverted. I'm much better at talking to groups of people than I am in one-on-ones. This is how it is. A lot of, you'd be surprised how many people out there are like me that are like that. They can handle groups, but they don't like one-on-ones as much. A lot of introverted people in our community, in the Game of Thrones community, and it's not going to computer. This is the kind of environment where you realize everyone around you is pretty much like that too. And it really has this effect on people coming out of their shell and being like introverted people becoming extroverted for three days. <laughs> and then you go back to your regular life and you're like, well, regular life isn't as fun as being at a con. Mm-hmm. But it's seriously, it, I'm not exaggerating. It might change your life forever. I'll tell you, uh, I, I'm personally a pretty, I don't know, reserved person with most people. I, I'm not super talkative when I, I'm not super social in general. Uh, big surprise. No, I, I'm not. <laughs> but I got, I got to talk to some people there who you could just, you could just talk and talk and talk to them for hours and hours and just totally lose track of time. Like I was, I was especially excited because I got to meet Joanna Lannister, who runs a Song of Ice and Fire University and, of course, pre Game of Thrones, which given the name History of Westeros, I'm a big fan of that. That's how we became friends, is that I saw that she had this blog pre-Game of Thrones on Tumblr that was just cataloging everything that happened before a Game of Thrones, which is an incredible undertaking and requires a lot of work. And I put a lot of work into cataloging artwork and things like that and various fandoms as well. I'm very obsessive about about having things organized. And so we just we just got into a conversation where like multiple people came up to us to try to talk to us during our conversation and we just had completely blocked them out <laughs> and just kept going and going and then it was hour like it was like 2 hours later and we'd just been talking to each other for the whole time. So you'll definitely get to meet people you've known online and get to make new friends that you'll just not want to ever stop talking to them. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's a whole nother world. Imagine that, you know, you go to your work, you go to your family gatherings, and you can't, most, you're like lucky to find someone that can, maybe has seen the show. 
it's, it's really, I can't explain it. Being around, you know, literally thousands or in the case of Ice and Fire Con, hundreds of people at a time who you could talk about the most random theory and anyone with an earshot would be like, oh, oh yeah, I, I got to weigh in on that too. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I, it's, it's indescribable what that's like because so many of you I know from doing our show, a lot of you have written to tell us that we are the only people that ha- are that outlet for you. Some of you guys out there don't have anyone, not a single person you can talk to about a song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones and we are are that you know we're that surrogate you know for, for for a lot of people and a lot of other podcasts and youtube community fill that same role it's not just information and entertainment it's also like sort of a virtual friendship of, of types it's part of that community thing and that is just just comes fully to light at a convention like this or any kind of convention where people are just kind of all of that same mind everyone's on the same wavelength for the most part no one's there to Everyone's no one's there to argue. People are there to have a good time. Everyone's already in a good mood, and that really just kind of spills out over everyone. So, I could go on, but <laughs> I, mean, I think that's I think We're I've over said two it. Hours. Yeah, we gotta wrap it up. But we will be back two times a week for the next seven weeks. Let me do our Patreon credits. Of course. Uh, sorry, I will get that for you. Okay, you so go, thank you. We have a lot of people to thank on the patron side. It is certainly. A lot of you who support us on Patreon are part of the reason we were able to go to this con in the first place and report on it. So oh, we yeah, hope to, for sure. We hope to get and to share more about it. the con itself for actually supporting us. I mean, they comped our hotel room and our, um, our badges, badges, of course. Of course. So yeah. that was huge, but uh, it's definitely we couldn't have done it without Patreon. Yeah, for us it was only a three-and-a-half-hour drive, so that, that really helped a lot. But we're willing to drive a lot farther <laughs> 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 wherever, wherever it may be next year. Okay, Iceland. Iceland, that's we- right. Could have been in Finland for Helsinki for Rolcon, and we didn't do that. And George is going to be there, so clearly we're not willing to go that far. That's a bit yet. too much. Yeah. Yet. I yeah. want to. I want to. <laughs> so let me thank uh, you, you thank all patrons for helping us out, and for everyone else who has liked and subscribed and upvoted and all that. Also, another before I do that, another th- shout-out to our friends at Game of Owns for, <laughs> for temporarily conquering our show, for leading us in, for being our friends, and for... Also for helping to get that con going, they were huge. Bringing this in, yes, and for getting me somewhat drunk during the live stream. (laughs) (laughs) One, one they're just they're right there. They love us. We love them. One own for the intro. One own for the drinks. (laughs) That's right. That's right. In Game of Thrones tradition, that is perfect. Okay, so all thanks to the mysterious BR hand of the king. Thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. And our our co-panelist. That's right. Our good friend. Lord George Storm, Phil the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light and Warden of the North, who FireCon a few months ago. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. We have Kohokoi, Master of the Bow, called Sunpiercer and Slayer of the infamous ex-husband Kevin of Sunpiercer's sister there. Good Blood job. Rider. Yes. If you want to have a shout-out where you kill someone, <laughs> contact us, us, be a Contact us, us? Thanks for the alcohol, man. <laughs> Contact us, and we'll get you set up with a Blood Rider shout-out. The small council of ours is made up of Lord James Inkblade, the scholar Nightmaster of Whisperers. I believe we, we met him there as well. Grandmaster Saria of the Barrows, Cinder of the Citadel, also someone we've met in the past. Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle, Master of Ships. We also have our lords and ladies in their castles, including Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron. 
Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Cat Lord of Castle Ganges. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of... Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance, which is a Game of Thrones Ascent Facebook group. Check them out. It's we have, fun game. It is. We have the Lord of the Halls of Hassel Kilk. Man, I'm having trouble here. Lord of the Halls of ha Castle Hillcrest, wielder of the Valyrian steel machete Everglaze. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donald. Lord Demi Snuggle Bunny is guardian of the hidden hundred acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snuggle Bunny. Lord Osborne is of Castle Werewoods. Our roots run deep. Lord Brandon Brewer is of Castle Blackruins, sworn alesmith to House Stark, Grand Master of the Zithomancer's Guild, and Keeper of the Buzz. Lord Imriel is of House Jordane. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands. He is Last Scion of Clan McCulloch, Strength and Courage, and the Bastard of the Wolfswood, First Forder. <laughs> Jesus. Lord First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Listen for the silence. We also have King's Justice, Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Fate. We have our Kingsguard, Lord Commander, Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine, and just for the heck of it, I'll read the rest of the Kingsguard. That changed pretty recently. But yeah, like a few months ago. Sir Andrew the Dragon Seed Prophet is longest tenured white sword. We have Sir Darren the Red, Knight of the Forums. We have Elia of New York. We have Willa Crowsbane, Guardian of White Tree, First Lady of the Free Folk, and a lovely Septa. Sir Brian Rivers is the Bastard of the Riverlands. And Sir Dolorous D. And certainly last but not least, here we have Lord Commander Daenerys Flynn of the Night Fort, avenging the memory of Dint Grave Danny. First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield. First Builder Patch Face of Motley Wisdom. And last but not least, First Steward of Sir Jurian of the Torrentine, called Palewind. And we finally have our. Sean, I, there was one thing I wanted to say, just a quick note about the con. Sure. I, I had three big takeaways. It was neat to kind of get a feel for the public. Does that make sense? How what people are excited about or whatever. A lot of people really don't like Stannis. <laughs> uh, a lot Which, of people really do. Yeah, yeah. He's a divisive. A lot character. of people really don't like Sansa. That one was a little more. Also true. And a lot of people and, really do. And yep. a lot of people are really excited about Clegane Yes. <laughs> That's the really, lot of excitement for Really me. excited. You guys, um, anyone who's hyped for Cle anyone who is hyped for Clegane Bowl, look up on YouTube Clegane Bowl Rap Ice and Fire Con and watch this video. Please, Hilarious. Please yes. do it. Okay, as I announced at the beginning of this episode, this is the last thing we're going to mention. Uh, the stream that was promised is coming Sunday, July 16th, the actual day of the premiere. And it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a, a stream starting on Val's channel because Geek, as you can see there in the graphic, noon, it'll move, and then at one, it'll move to History of Westeros, which will be obviously our channel. Then at two, it's going to go over to, which channel is that? Oh, that's Raw Wrist. Then at three o'clock, Teflon TV. At four o'clock, Smokescreen. At five o'clock, Phil the Issues Guy. And nine o'clock is the premiere. So y'all get ready. Join us for that. And join the uh, share, the, uh, what do we call it, the Valyrian Steel Stream we got there. Mm -hmm. The chain, the chain of streams, like Tyrion's uh, chain. Oh, we got all kinds of, we, we worked on all kinds of nicknames yeah. for this thing. Anyway, it should be a lot of fun. We'll help build the hype. Thanks to uh, Val for making this graphic. 
by the yeah. way. <laughs> and and thanks as always to Michael Clarfeld of Claradox.de who absolutely. did the map that was on screen and who did the video intro at the beginning. And we're going to use it as an outro this time. That's right. And I let it lead us off. And thanks so. to everyone else who makes History of Westeros possible. Thanks to our musicians and everyone we else. We have a band here. Did you know that? <laughs> we have a whole band here. That's right. No, not really. Anyway. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Okay, we kind of. We were playing game of metal Game of Thrones earlier in the basement on the drums and guitar. With Zach from Zach. Game of Thrones, yes. it was Sean it and Zach. And yeah, that's true. Okay, I, I I undersold it. We clearly were <laughs> doing that more. I blame the alcohol again. <laughs> okay, folks. Next time you see us, it'll be only a few hours before the premiere. So get hyped, get excited, and if you have more questions for us during those streams, send them to us. In the meantime, thanks again to Game of Thrones. And everyone else, Valar reread us, Valar rewatch us. See you next time. Yeah. Live studio audience clapping. I can't hear it now. No, it's off. Yeah. Okay. They'll, they'll just hear the it's media. We're clapping for ourselves. And I'll, I, I get to Not stop me. streaming now.